<laughs> so number one, it's weird to be a, a cartoon. Uh, I feel all the pain that he's feeling. Number two, that really ends abruptly. You know, I um... <laughs> I have to so, sort yeah, that really, out. Sorry. Like, a little bit of a soft, a little softer. Uh, we'll work on that transition. <laughs> hey, so why are we in it? You, sh you should have like, you know, blank spots. That that's you, a good, you that's a good point. Every yeah. week we should pay. I think that, what was that, Isabel? A million dollars to do that like 30 <laughs> second ad? Yeah, we'll pay $100,000 to, to add, add, add Adam Farrington and uh, Hoddle. I, I, but in, but in American, FTC, so it was a very American Hoddle 8. I appreciate that your uh, your cartoon had male pattern baldness. I was like, this is very yeah. That's the realism that's a, is strong. That's you know, a, that's a depiction. I don't. I have hair up there. You know, I don't know why Isabella decided to have the cartoonists emphasize like baldness. It's not a thing. Like I, you know, I have a ton of hair. Anyway, Josh, you were supposed to do a proper intro. I can do that. That's Isabella. You know her. <laughs> and today, today on the show with us, uh, if you're if you've never been here before, this is the blind spot. We have uh, Alan Farrington, Adam, Fer Mr. Farrington, and then American Hoddle Eight, who's recently come back to Twitter uh, to get his money uh, and... back from a bet. And we're about to have Brad Mills. Well, that was exciting. Well timed. Brad Mills. Uh, has joined us and uh, today just before we start here um, I'd like to read off a little uh, one of our, our first and only sponsor ever uh, today's show is brought to you by the biggest and best crypto exchange uh, that has ever lived Kevin O'Leary calls it the only exchange he would put his money in um, FTX so uh, if you guys want if you want to buy uh, shit coins or uh, Bitcoin FTX, uh, really, really an excellent exchange. Heading over there was at FTX.com and uh, put all of your money into FTX. So, Have you actually uh, got your sponsorship money, though, or is this just an accounts receivable? Why wouldn't we get our sponsorship money? It's just it's, it's on a 90 day, uh, you know, we gave them 90 days to pay like every other advertiser. <laughs> you just have to unstake it. <laughs> well ladies and gentlemen if you don't know ftx is a now defunct exchange uh we are watching it collapse in real time it's a little bit like 9 11 but for crypto uh is that can i say is it too soon <laughs> 9 11 for crypto. <laughs> yeah, most people say like it's like bear stearns for crypto but I, yeah 9 11 for big for crypto it's a little bit harsh you I know, this be a good moment to you're right. You're right. I wouldn't. You know, wanna, it's actually it's kind of accurate because there's going to be a lot of government intervention on the heels of it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a good comparison. Truly. It's true. This would be a good moment to show my really like the in memoriam thing that I've just done. Um, I think we should all be quiet. Just yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. <laughs> Very sad. Very. You sad. forgot the Ontario Teachers Fund. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really good. Yeah, yeah. I wanna, it is. It is Alan Farrington. I, it's not Adam Farrington. I did know that. I always have known that. But for some reason, 
as I was doing the intro. You, you, I got you said really Mr. Nervous. Farrington, which is very I said Mr. Just to, just, to get, like, just to get rid of it. That's Don't nervous. say that, Alan. That's, that's stupid. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Where are we here? So we've been we've been sitting around for the last few days. Uh, a group of us. Uh, <laughs> we are amid the debris of the yeah. 9-11. Well, this is you know we are we are like the the response team after a plane crash. We like to go in mm-hmm. and take a look at uh, what happened, what caused it. We did this during Mount Gox. We've uh, done it during every other exchange collapse. So like this is a lot of fun for people like me. Although I know real people got hurt, and I sympathize with them. Um, <laughs> we really care a lot about those people. We want to make sure that uh, they're okay and aren't committing suicide. So, uh, you know, we're going to go in and take a look at it and we're going to, we're going to just uh, kind of diagnose where we are today. Talk about it. Have a lot of laughs. Uh, Hoddle will cry a lot because he had all of his money in FTX. Smart. And, uh, and that will be, that will be the show today. I think. <laughs> Am I right? Is that right? And we brought Brad, Brad Mills uh, is, has known a lot about the, the DeFi space, which, is like uh, it should be called fake finance, and uh, and Alan's written a, a great article this week, and is a, a longtime Bitcoiner, and he's written a great article this week on on the uh, FTX situation. So I think that we're going to examine that. And Hoddle's here because I like him, and like you know why not? Yeah. Uh, and I even and Isabella's here because I like her. So. That was a really rubbish introduction, Josh, but fine. Uh, you you assigned it to me five minutes ago. Yeah, fine. So. But you're supposed to introduce people with useful tidbits about who they are as well. I did. Like, I did. Uh, okay, no. fine. Um, but anyway, I think we should start with the ultimate, um, well, this is going to be the ultimate deconstruction of what's going on. But perhaps we start with a general assessment of where we are in the, you know, collapse story so one word from everybody like we did at the start of the terra luna so what is the status of the crypto market right now brad i'd say we're we're nearing the end of the contagion that started actually back in january and uh you know we talk about this sometimes on clubhouse like when did the bear market really start in in bitcoin and i think it was actually like a year more than a year ago and it was just that we we got propped up. The price had a second run up to the all time high because of all these scam whales and all these frauds that were happening in the crypto space that were kind of using Bitcoin as an affinity scam. And so we've been in almost a year and a half bear market, but uh, it's like the market's finally figuring out what a lot of us were suspecting all this time that the crypto markets were built up on this these Ponzi scams and and frauds. And uh most of the risk is is out, I believe. We probably have a little bit more to go, but you can't really get a bigger player than FTX to blow up in, as contagion risk in this space. So you think the, the contagion is almost out? Almost out. <laughs> it's almost out. Brad's Canadian, if you couldn't tell everybody. And by the way, Isabella, just to, uh, just to say it, if you had given it to me 10 minutes earlier or even like 24 hours, the, the intro would have been just a shit. <laughs> that's, why I didn't even, that's why I didn't even bother. That's why I didn't bother, right? I, I know you do no, no homework, zero homework. Um, but, um, Alan, in one word, what status are we in? Uh, is the market in? Give us you your Brad to use Alan, one word. Alan hails from core finance, so he can give us a very sophisticated analysis in one word. What is what? what I, I, I won't, though. I'm not, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I reject the question 
for two reasons, I think. Maybe more will come to me, actually, as I'm explaining this. So one is that I'm really glad Brad is here because he actually pays attention to this stuff and, and knows the ins and outs of what has happened. I, on principle, do not. Um, I just take a very sort of high level abstract. This is how finance ought to work. Make fun of this stuff when it goes wrong attitude and try to be as moralizing as possible. But I, I don't, I don't actually understand it. It's kind of related to the second reason, I guess, which is that occasionally I will understand it deeply, but only once it's gone wrong, then people draw it they draw my attention to it. And then I get stuck in and I figure it out. So it's appropriate that I'm here, I guess. But I, I can't I can't give you the answers you want. So basically, in one word, your no. your assessment is <laughs> no. Okay, well, try and Mr. Hoddle, what yes. <laughs> what's your one? Well, word? I actually, I actually, Hoddle's his father. That's right, it's my father. Uh, I actually can do it in one word, and that word is anti-disestablishmentarianism. I think that sums up what we're looking at here. Something to do with knows. churches and state power. Uh, no, the word the word is scapegoating. I think what we're looking at right now after a week of this is the scapegoating of Sam Bankman-Fried. And granted, he, he was running a, a criminally fraudulent em enterprise. And there are going to be a, a number of salacious details that have already come out and will continue to come out over the weeks and months of reporting uh, as they go on. But I, I think there are a lot of you know VCs. Alan's article talks about this. Like, There's a whole culture of people around this thing. Uh, that should have known better, could have known better, should have known better. sooner, right? And so placing all of the blame on Sam Bankman, uh, while he's definitely liable and, and seemingly needs to go to prison, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a scapegoating of him. There are a lot of people that have a lot of blame. There's a lot of blame to go around. I, mean, I think there's different types of blame though, right? Like you blame SBF for committing fraud, but then I, th I think it's almost more interesting. I don't know, maybe people differ on this but i think it's more interesting why the fraud wasn't detected like that's the that's like the, the systemic issue if you like right like how could you. this have happened not not this specifically happened how could anything like this ever happen yeah and, maybe and it's word... just like 9 11 where the fbi knew it was going to happen they just let it happen anyway maybe the oh feds... no brad no, i thought no, we're trying to make this no. sound like i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i think this is a good time to run through the major conspiracy theories that are going on right now with respect mm. to, well, what, to what's been happening okay. so let's let's run through each conspiracy theory and grade them <laughs> In order of importance. So One conspiracy I'm theory is that George Bush did it. Wait, 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 wait. Stop talking at the same time. Hang on, hang on. I'm I'm, co I'm, controlling here because Josh is doing a rubbish job moderating. It's a great job. So, number one, what is... I'm going to go to each of you and we're all going to, like, present our favourite conspiracy theory currently doing the round. So, Brad, what is your favourite conspiracy theory about the whole thing? Okay, right so well, I've kind of got my own conspiracy theory I'm not hearing many people talk about. I actually think that this is Ken Griffin's fault from Citadel oh, Securities. <laughs> you know, Ken Griffin is the uh, head of Citadel, just for he's those who don't know. Yeah, the head, of, the head of Citadel. He initially got pissed off that the crypto degens tried to buy the U.S. Constitution last year with a Dow. They raised like $40 million. Oh, yeah. He got so pissed off that he burnt $50 million of his own money to, to steal it from the, the crypto degens. And then he saw that they were coming after his uh, payment for order flow business at, at Citadel Securities with the Robin Hood because jump, 
Jump Trading is another huge tier one market maker on Wall Street. Got in bed with Sam Bankman Fried at, at uh, with Solana, Wormhole Bridge, and FTX. FTX tried to move in on on Ken's territory with Robinhood and retail trading in the U.S. with FTX U.S. Ken actually invested in a competing U.S. exchange called IEX and Jump and uh, uh, Jump and uh, and FTX were kind of in bed. And he's just like, I'm just going to destroy these guys. They're trying to steal the U.S. Constitution. They're trying to take my payment for order flow business. I'm just going to blow them up. So I think it was all Ken's fault. How did he do it? <laughs> Money? Interesting. So Ken is embroiled. I don't know yes, why he did he do it? How did he do it? <laughs> Ken is embroiled again far, in yeah. the conspiracy theories on the internet. Um, yes. Ken I like Griffin's fault. That's my conspiracy theory. I'm putting that out right now. Okay, excellent one. Jo Josh, you're number two. What is your favorite conspiracy theory going on right Oh, I don't know. I'm here for the pornography. I'm just watching it all like collapse around me. Uh, I'm enjoying hearing about the sexcapades of the group. I... I I, this is for I'm, I'm actually with Alan on this. Like I tend to be uh, more addicted to the porn. I wait until uh, the best new porn movie is out and then I watch it. And this is the best one out there right now. Mm. Uh, other than that, like I could I could make predictions all day about which exchanges are going to go down and I'll be right. Ninety eight point five percent of the time. But I won't know why exactly until after they go. Mm. So this one, I, I don't know what the conspiracies are. I'm sure one of them is uh, partly right and most of them are mostly wrong, but they're going to be whatever it is. Uh, this one's the most entertaining of all the collapses I've ever seen. So I don't really have an answer to that. I've not, uh, I'm not as steeped. Usually I wait for the, uh, I wait for the reports to come out before I actually dive deep into the conspiracies. I've heard a, a few of them, but I don't retain those. Okay. And Alan, what is your favorite conspiracy theory doing the rounds right now at FTX? I don't know if it's doing the rounds because I made it up, but I think that this was all Phil Geiger. Oh shit! Tell me why. I'm guessing only Hoddle knows who that is. I have a lot of no, I have a lot of suspicions about that motherfucker. Right, so, and yeah, no, for real. Mm -hmm. Phil Geiger is a very good friend of mine who I've never met. Um, and when I asked, and and I think I think memed. I don't know. Maybe Hoddle can say, but where does the yield come from? Right. He responded with something that was so good I put it on a T-shirt. The yield is the friends we make along the way. <laughs> that has nothing to do with why he did this. That's just a bit of his background. Um, he works for Unchained Capital. And I think this entire exercise has been the greatest free advertisement for their services ever. And probably better than anything they could even have paid for. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's behind it. And, and I do want as I, as I did in a tweet, which I think rattled him, right, that... Neither I nor anyone else apparently have ever seen him in SBF in the same place. Oh, That's true. Unchained Capital. If it, as as a note, if you do want to pay for ads, though, we will take your money. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you have so Alan's, so now, right? Alan's is that Bitcoin companies <laughs> caused the collapse of FTX to promote the idea of self custodying Bitcoin <laughs> instead of using exchanges. I like it. It's a good one. So American model, American yeah, model I eight. What I would dub my favorite conspiracy is uh, Kinky Caroline. I really am enjoying all of yeah. the weird sexual details that are coming out of the whole thing. It seems that they were all living in a, uh, a, a flop house in the Bahamas. And when I say flop house, I mean $40 million penthouse in the Bahamas together. And uh, there were 10 of them, uh, many of them senior FTX management, all living together. 
There are reports of orgies. Um, there are reports that Sam and Caroline were engaged in, uh, you know, a relationship, monogamous or non-monogamous, polyamorous. I don't know. They seem very open-minded as individuals. Uh, we, we came across the details of Caroline's blog where she seems to uh, identify the exact type of man she's sexually attracted to, which seems to be exactly who Sam was, which is somebody who's in control of world governments. She identified this as very sexually attractive about men, uh, people who have low risk aversion. Now, this is not high risk tolerance. This is low risk aversion. Caroline seemingly can only be turned on by men who pile on the risk to an insane degree. Um, and so, yeah, I've just been really enjoying the details. And I just, you know, if she gets out of this unscathed, I mean, I'm married, but I don't know. Maybe who knows where she'll be after she gets out of federal prison. You know, maybe she's we a could, 10 idol. We could talk 10, you know, gorgeous woman. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think now's the moment to go to Brad for the, uh, the absolute sort of meticulous details of what happened. So you gave us a hint of, um, how this unfolded, but my main opening question is, does this connect to the drama back in April with Terry? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. So back then I was I was actually kind of identifying FTX as one of the contagion risks for for this whole thing to finally fully flush itself out because the people that were involved in propping up the markets like what alan said at, i think it was alan at the beginning of this said that like why why haven't we taken a look at why was it ho so hard for them to figure crypto people i mean to, to figure out that this was fraud but like most bitcoiners were just pretty much skeptical of it from the beginning but it's because the entire industry in the 2021 bubble was propped up by this really bullshit narrative and bad logic around what we discussed in the last episode the whole concept of yield farming and tokens that represent some sort of derivative value of somebody using one of these yield farms or one of these liquidity pools or whatever. Well, they, they, they kind of like Sequoia, Susquehanna, all the, all the major Andreessen Horowitz, like Silicon Valley, you know, shill coin Valley VCs, basically they turned into just coin shillers. They propped this whole thing up and FTX is not the only the only person to blame like like i think it was hoddle said that earlier they they are just the current biggest player that has fallen from the practice that all the crypto vcs all the crypto funds were all engaged in and normalizing the idea that you can do this kind of toxic leveraged nonsense and treat it like a tier one you know liquid asset like a u.s treasury or something like that the, the idea that you can just print billions of dollars of your token ftt token or bnb token at binance or cro at crypto.com every one of these crypto exchanges for the most part had one of these tokens that they controlled the majority of the supply of they issued it and they used it as as collateral to then go out and start raising on crazy valuations from tier one funds in silicon valley like that's uh a16z so it goes back to that whole thing like these guys use the same logic as FTX, Caroline, Sam Trabuco, and SBF. Like all of these people were using the same logic at the other crypto exchanges and at the other funds. So they were in bed with like this whole concept of DeFi yield farming. They were propping it up alongside the other players. 
And specifically, uh, Three Arrows Capital was one of the biggest funds that went down right after Luna because they were directly exposed to Luna. Uh, when when Mike Novogratz tattooed Luna on his arm and started shilling it toward to all the high net worth individuals and and retired or registered <clears throat> investment advisors, I'm sure he didn't really know how much of an idiot he was. Like I I don't think he knew he was just incompetent. I think it just was greed and the excitement and the rational exuberance of the bubble that made him think that that stupid model could actually work. Well, it turns out that a bunch of the smartest people in the room were just as dumb as Mike Novogratz and also believed their, their bullshit and were huffing their own farts. And they, they, they really thought this stuff was financial innovation and that it was real value. So they started borrowing against it. They started like, well, they were making billions of dollars, let's be honest, like based on the top-down force-fed narrative that this is financial innovation that was coming from A16Z, Raw Paul from Real Vision, all these influencers. So they all normalized it. None of them saw it coming because I guess they're not students of history. They just never heard of maybe MF Global or or, or Bear Stearns or, or LTCM or any of, the, yeah. any of the times this has happened throughout history and financial mm-hmm. innovation when you try to like make derivatives and toxic leverage on top of these derivatives and think that that's all going to be fine. I think it's, I think it's worth noting too. Like, I, I don't know if, you, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys would agree cause it's true, but uh, I think, I think that the rest of the world thinks that FTX has been here a while and that right. all of us are like <laughs> surprised by this, like long time exchange. I I've never heard of FTX until they bought the arena name down here in Florida and I was really confused. I was like, where like this exchange just appeared and I never heard of it. That's weird. And uh, and I had people telling me that they like they, they thought it was a great exchange. I, I've never heard of it. So this this exchange came out of nowhere. SBF came out of nowhere. And I think it's it's really interesting now to kind of look back and and like all of us are comparing notes. I'm like, Hoddle, I, I got a secret. Like, I didn't hear about this. Until you presented. No, no, yeah. this is so, can, can I just and say, I I like, totally, like, I'm totally in the same camp. Like, and, and, the FT yeah. did this lunch with the uh, with with Sam Bankman Fried. Fried? 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 Fried is He's, correct, yeah. Fried. He is fried um, now. It's fried now. Bankman <laughs> Fried. Um, in May, I think it was May, May 2022. And I hadn't, I was like, what? Like, I've not heard of him, and and you're so right. It was well. How come? Well, I'm talking to Hoddle, and I I tell yeah. this to Hoddle, and Hoddle like whispers back. He goes, "Me too." <laughs> yeah, like me, me and Justin were talking about this. We're like, we're both like Bitcoin OGs and been around forever, and we were like, "Who the fuck is this? Where the fuck did this?" So come? We, we, we never, never even heard this about, guy. We never talked about it until yeah. he collapsed. I, I and heard it was about, really funny. I heard about FTT token this... three days before it went. Totally to zero. You know what I mean? I heard about it three days after it went to zero. (laughs) Yeah, this whole thing in Bitcoin was very much like like a whisper campaign. All all of us were all kind of like doubting ourselves. Like, when did this? Like, did this just appear? Like, I guess I just haven't really been up on shit coins enough to know. Can I I make a quick point about uh, Novogratz and Luna that I think it ties together a lot of things we've mentioned so far, but especially this point about Bitcoiners not really being aware of this stuff typically until it implodes, which is kind of what I was getting out of my own introduction, right? That I, I like, why, what's the point in, in learning about it until, you know, there's, there's something to talk about and it's hilarious, right? So the thing with, um, the thing with Novogratz deciding to back Luna and, and a bunch of other like influencers as well, right? 
was that Luna tried this really interesting mutation, I guess, if you want to call it that, of their grift, where they said that they were going to back their shitcoin with Bitcoin, right? Which changes absolutely nothing. It makes no sense whatsoever. And the far more intelligent Bitcoiners who were actually aware of it, <coughs> unfortunately, I can only really remember Adam Back talking about this, because um, again, I don't really pay attention, but it kind of, it rung a bell. Like Adam Back was completely on the case that all it meant was extra volatility. It didn't mean more buying of Bitcoin because it was still going to blow up at some point. So all it means is that the price goes up a lot more in the short term and then inevitably comes down a lot more in the slightly less short term. But it's still, you know, it's like three, four months or something between when they bought it and when they and when 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 Luna in particular all collapsed. But I find that really interesting because again, I didn't really know at the time, but looking back on it, it seems like the point of that was to try to convert the Bitcoiners who otherwise just don't give a shit because it's not worth paying attention to. Right. In case anyone's wondering, by the way, I keep, uh, I have a multi-sig wallet. One of the signatures I keep in the piano and the other <laughs> I stuff into the couch. Well, I think it's so, worth noting that Bitcoin geographically dispersed. Bitcoiners were not just out to lunch on this issue because they're like clueless idiots. Although certainly some are clueless idiots, maybe some of us on this call, but <laughs> The reason we weren't that interested in it necessarily is because if you're a Bitcoiner who takes custody of your own keys, you are never going to be materially affected by any of these shenanigans in crypto land other than, you know, them causing contagion in the Bitcoin markets and the, the value of your uh, you know Bitcoin going down. That's so it's only reflected in the price. You're not going to have to worry about getting rug pulled, whereas in, in shitcoin land, uh, rug pulls are, are constant. You know, it's a it's a feature of doing business in shitcoin land like you have to constantly be worried that somebody's going to knife you in the back and take all of your stuff. It's a den of thieves, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, if time I, goes to infinity, the probability of a rug pull goes to one. Right. So my, my question then is, was SBF, um, is he a useful idiot? Like, maybe? I mean, obviously, you've said he's a scapegoat, but... Um, who well, the big... Isabel, yeah. one of the big conspiracy theories is that this was a false flag operation, but there doesn't seem to be any smoking gun of that. It is like, here's here's the broad strokes of the conspiracy theory. Uh, Sam had a meteoric rise. Like me and Johnson had never heard of him. Nobody in the industry had heard of him two years ago, even in, in crypto land. Like, and this it's guy a rare, a, and, and yeah. it's worth noting, it's rare that that a dude with such a large breasts is becomes that popular that quickly. So this was suspicious to us. Except for Bill Gates. <laughs> well, he he got the breast. He developed later. the breast later. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. took a while, right? <clears throat> no, um, no. I mean, so basically, Sam was a virtual unknown. He had this meteoric rise. Suddenly, he was, uh, you know, at with every politician, with every important celebrity. Um, he was on billboards all across the country. And the big question is, where did all the money come from? Because he has a story about arbitrage trading, uh, you know, the, the price of Bitcoin between Japan and America using Korean exchanges. And I think a lot of us that were around for that time, Brad and Jenseth may remember, that was a very short-lived moment. And it would have been very hard to make significant amounts of money on that. And, you know, so maybe he made $10 million, $20 million doing that. It doesn't explain how he was maybe. able to. Maybe, maybe. And so, so called Kim, kimchi arbitrage. Yes. Yeah, the kimchi we, we, all, we all remember this. We were here when it was happening. Yeah, I was like, here. It was weird, Isabella, because it, it just wasn't closing. It, it, it was like really persistent. So the arbitragers, it seemed like it was just really hard to get money into Korea. And somehow this like 12-year-old Sam Bankman-Fried was able to figure it out. Right. That was always weird to me. Like, did he take? So, he, Japan, he take... Japan, as the people were saying yesterday, but still, same thing. 
there are a lot of there are a lot of question marks around the meteoric rise of SBF. That's that's really like where a lot of the conspiracies start, and uh, then they end in the eventual implosion. Well, they, they get they MIA. get they get weirder though, because like Sam Bankman's Freed's parents have strong connections, I think, in the <clears> government. <throat> Caroline's yeah. uh, was it Caroline's dad was the boss of Ginsler mm -hmm. uh, at MIT. Yeah. Uh, so mm -hmm. this is like it's a very weird Epstein esque uh, kind of plot, minus the children. Well, there she's gone. Bye, Isabella. <laughs> that was so offensive. <laughs> she got Epstein. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that dramatic moment. I just pressed the wrong button. Um, she's like, sorry. oh, no. She's <laughs> <laughs> going off the rails. I'm out. I, I know this I'm... about it. If you mention Epstein, Isabella leaves. I don't know why. <laughs> no, it's the, it the NSA. They hacked me. Um, oh, yeah. No, but I, <laughs> what I want to know. So, that's. SBF previously was at Jane Street, right? And Jane Street was at the time when he was there an incredibly secretive proprietary trading firm. Um, and it was employing all these super big brain MIT types who'd studied physics and mathematics. And they were all focused on ETF arbitrage, essentially. Everyone, I've, everyone I've ever seen at Jane Street Capital is the weirdest looking person I've ever like seen. <laughs> it's it's really like I've seen a few videos by their like trade, like, yeah, I'm at Jane Street Capital. I'm like, oh. You're a weird looking dude every fucking time. So a little known fact is that in 2014, I was invited to give a talk to Jane Street. And I don't really know why, but I I, I went because I was curious and I got a little tour of the office. And it was fascinating because the founders who were quite mysterious at the time, um, there was like a poker room, like where you could play poker, I remember, uh, or Texas Hold'em, one of those games. There was also like the almost on every floor there were massive propaganda photos from uh, posters from from world war 1 and world war 2 which i thought was weird and then they took me on a li little tour around the founders offices and one of them i don't know which one um had an enigma machine in there and it was all like an the whole thing yeah like an old vintage enigma machine so there was definitely, you know, the, the spirit of that place was very crypto war, you know, i'm just saying if you're going to go false flag <laughs> those guys those guys were into like weird shit where does one get an enigma machine ebay what no where it's like get an enigma machine? i don't think you can get one on ebay 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 i, I don't know but where you but but it was like it was the real deal i i i recognized it um so anyway the jane street background is is fascinating to me because i think that's where you would you know someone would have really cut their teeth doing arbitrage trading anyway um, and they were always very secretive about how they closed the arbs. Um, I wonder to what degree it actually involved just getting on a plane with bags of cash, though. What do you think? Pro probably a high degree, honestly. Uh, there's you know, stories about um, SBF committing. These are just rumors, you know, him committing bank fraud uh, over in Japan and in Korea, uh, trying to get access to accounts, right? So you, you certainly had to, you know, step over some uh, into some gray areas if you were going to take advantage of that ARB at that time, I think. So well, how did... Go on, go on. I, I, I kind of... Since I've been paying close attention to these markets for, for, for since SBF showed up on the scene, I mean, it was... It's true that people were like, who is this guy? Because mm -hmm. most of the exchanges or people that start exchanges either were Bitcoin miners or they were in crypto at some point. And uh, 
I do know some people that had like worked um, around or met with SBF during his rise and, you know, he was trading and stuff like that, but yeah, there could be some, some truth to the idea that he was seated or something with, with uh, suspect circumstances, who knows, but there, there is a trend that happened at late in late 2019 when um, this, this, uh, this guy showed up on the scene which was like the only big exchange on crypto for Bitcoin trading was BitMEX. The real big casino was BitMEX. And the founder was was pretty well known for counter trading. He was pretty much running a bucket shop. And uh, his liquidation engine was was favorable for them. So, I mean, it was like pretty, pretty whispered about and well known in, in the trading circles that like, you know, if you're going to be trading on BitMEX, you got to know that Arthur Hayes is profiting off of you and you know just just to know that and then binance was the other major exchange and then there was like darabit which was uh allowing 100x leverage and stuff like that but not available to us customers didn't have a really great trading engine so like when they started to build ftx it it, it actually was a really good technology and sort of in, in terms of trading so they did they did provide something that crypto traders bitcoin traders futures traders actually wanted to go and use because it was like they had a liquidation engine that was actually preferable but that ended up causing the problem too in the end because they they allowed you to use all kinds of things as collateral to uh to to post as collateral so that when you when the markets were volatile instead of liquidating your whole position they would like sort of like start taking from different buckets of your collateral and lower your position so that you wouldn't get completely margin called you just it was like a more favorable liquidation process for traders so they could stay in the markets longer. And they were they so, so they did have some sort of reputation getting built. And it is true that they came out of nowhere and ended up becoming like hobnobbing with like the, the, the regulators and former presidents and all that, which is crazy and hugest celebrities in the world sponsoring the Super Bowl. But it's at the same time, what was happening back in 2019, early 2020 you had crypto.com, uh, Celsius, like a bunch of these other super high risk projects that had raised hundreds of millions of dollars in the previous cycle and survived because they, they sold to cash or waited out in Bitcoin. They started to kind of all do this token thing as well. And uh, crypto.com, I remember, and Celsius both had like huge markups in the price of their tokens, what like 20x or something over a matter of months. And that was around when FTT was launching. It was it was like a private sale. They sold their FTT tokens to whoever would you know buy in the private sale. Three Arrows Capital actually was offered to go into the private sale, and and uh, they they said no. Binance actually did invest in FTX at the beginning because Binance wanted to have a stake in their competitor. And uh, Suzu from Three Hours Capital commented back in 2019 that like this looks like a scam. He's like, "Who are these guys? This thing looks like a scam. This looks like a shitcoin scam." <laughs> so it was obvious even to Three Hours Capital, who ended up doing a lot of fraud themselves and you know working on it, like trading on FTX, and um, that, that there was something up there. But it more so was just the the again going back to the idea that why why did the vcs like andreessen horowitz and the coinbase mafia and all the ethereum maximalists that had 
whale bags of Ethereum and stable coins after the ICO bubble, we're still pushing this narrative that like DeFi was the future and it was the innovation that we are all here for. And they were really just pre-mining these bags and trying to look for liquidity on all the markets they could. They couldn't sell it all on, on Coinbase. Um, Coinbase Ventures invests in all this shit too overseas and like they get some of the liquidity on Coinbase on the US retail. But a lot of it, they have to go out over overseas and dump their bags overseas. And that's what FTX and Binance are good for them because they can, you know, pay the fee to get the the, the DeFi shitcoin token listed. And then they can dump their bags on retail that go on these exchanges. So FTX was promoted a lot by participants in the industry because it was like another exit ramp for them to be able to dump their their pre-mined uh, bags of tokens on. On, no, know, I, it doesn't I, matter I, if it's U.S. people or just retail in general. I think that's a really interesting analysis. And I, one thing I would say is that I am um, on the BitMEX thing. Um, so BitMEX, the interesting thing is that I interviewed Bendelo a while ago, and I'm still supposed to write up my piece. And I will, it will be coming. I promise. I just have been on the road a little bit, so I have it. It's a, it was a fascinating interview because. Um, one thing he mentioned was that when they came on the scene around, I think they came on the scene around 2017, they missed the whole venture capital, um, you know, exuberance. So nobody really wanted to fund them. And they they funded themselves pretty much. They couldn't get any backing. And because I think they were in between cycles or something. So when I first heard about FTX and I heard about how easily they got funded, well, I thought that was very interesting because they largely ripped off a lot of stuff from BitMEX. I think some of the, a lot of innovation came out of BitMEX and I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit um, more uh, forgiving about the liquidation stuff. Cause when Bendelo explained it to me, it made sense in terms of risk management. Yes, it was harsh and it was huge, hugely, you know, bad for the customers, but it was ultimately a risk management tool to ensure that they could provide for um, large amounts of leverage, you know? So this was them trying to ensure a, total zero balance um you know everything had to square to zero all the time and and they were very he was very clear that this was about um ensuring that they don't end up with some sort of terrible uh, capital hole or a situation where they have to bail out um customers right so that was that was that's the kind of offset for why it was such a harsh liquidation agent so i'm i am i'm i'm a little bit um uh, forgiving of that. But the other interesting parallel is, you know, I'm here from core finance, is how it fits into what happened with exchange development in the conventional space. So I don't know how much you know about the um, development of, say, the CME and ICE and all the kind of exchange wars and liquidity dark pool stuff that happened in conventional finance, because it mirrors a lot of that. So in the early days, you had two major commodity exchanges. You had the IPE, which was the International Petroleum Exchange out of London, and you had um, the NYMEX. How long ago was that? This was oh, 10, 15 years ago, maybe. Um, and, so, well, I... I, I Oh God, maybe more because I was there on the last day when IPA IP got shut down when I was just begin beginning as a reporter twenty years ago. But um, the interesting thing was that Enron came on the scene and they were doing all this very innovative stuff, <laughs> trading derivatives, creating um, exotic weather shit, um, not actual weather, but um, weather derivatives. 
Um, and they wanted to create their own exchange, their own little platform. And uh, and that was one of their next development ideas. And they were going to sponsor and try and get liquidity because they were doing, again, it's like a broker dealer model where you're trading against your clients. And the banks didn't want that. They wanted to shut down Enron. They were very unhappy with that. So they ended up sponsoring this guy called Jeff Sprecher, who was coming out with his tiny little exchange called Internet Intercontinental Exchange at the time. And they sort of said to him, we'll back you, we'll give after you because we don't want to see Enron succeed. But in return, we get a bit of equity and we'll give you our flow. And of course, out of that came the ICE. And ICE is now the two main exchanges. You've had a lot of consolidation, but you ended up with ICE and CME um, and IPE got bought out as well. So this was this is in the spirit of banks basically dictating who wins on their terms and getting a piece of the action. And then after the big consolidation, you obviously had the rise of dark pools, which was this exactly what you were alluding to, Brad. Um, the, the banks can only do so much on, the, on a lit exchange, and then they want to dump stuff in dark pools where they don't, you know, where, where, where the price doesn't move, right? So dark pools started popping up. And that was the equivalent, I think, of what you're saying with respect to FTX and Binance. And of course, the asset managers, you, you'll remember Michael Lewis's original book, Flash Boys, I'm sure you've read it. This was when everybody started uh, getting very upset with HFTs and all the arbitrageurs. And Jane Street comes out of that. Um, Isabella, Isabella, did you know that there's a Michael Lewis angle to this story? Yes, go on, yes. tell us. <laughs> so apparently Michael Lewis has been embedded with Sam Bankman-Fried for the last few months. And was this is my backup uh, conspiracy? Yeah, it was uh, oh, I oh, you have one too. I have this one. Jens has gonna, one. Yeah. Do it first. Uh, so he was he was uh, embedded with SBF during this whole thing, and uh, so he's he's been writing a book, I guess, about Sam Bankman-Fried. And Hoddle was saying to me earlier that it was supposed to be a book about the you know beautiful, wonderful, wonderkind. Uh, wonderkindness of of Sam Bankman Fried. According to the creative the email that Creative Artist Agency put out, which is Lewis's agency, um, he had been embedded, and it sounded like he was very pro SBF because he was like you know covering SBF versus CZ Binance, who according to Lewis referred to them as the uh, Luke Skywalker versus Darth <laughs> Vader of the crypto industry. And it's like I think you had it. Maybe you had it switched backward. Maybe they're both Darth Vader. I don't really know. You know, everybody. I think Lewis's attitude to this, right, is that like he spent his entire career just covering and to a large extent satirizing all this, you know, malice in tradfi, and he's like, finally, I found that I found. Well, the he's light. too he's too dumb to have known that this was a scam. So, <laughs> although my my conspiracy, I wonder. If he's the one who sent the balance sheet to CoinDesk. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, right. it could be. Because that'd make yeah. for a great story if he could if he could be there when they collapse. Think, yeah. the yeah. right? Will that be like the very last page of his book about it? And that's why I sent like the, the epilogue. <laughs> like, by the way, it was me. <laughs> well, how yeah, well, said this every... earlier and I... Mm -hmm. I, I, I was just right. to say every Michael Lewis story is always set around a hero. So it would be interesting right. if the hero becomes the anti-hero, but go on. Or he's the hero. Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the, uh, I, I, yeah. um, I forget what I was going to say. What was I going to say? Where, where were we? Oh, we were just talking Michael about Michael Lewis. Lewis. Michael yeah. Lewis, blah, blah, and blah, Coindesk. I forgot. You, I, 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 I was saying about your conspiracy. What, uh, I, I had an interesting response to what Isabella was saying, which is that there's an even more kind of insidious or hysterical, depending on your perspective, I don't know, but angle to the, to the end. Everything about this is right? funny. 
which is that, which is that this is decentralized finance, right? So actually, nobody right. can stop you building your utterly fraudulent exchange. They're all it's all open protocols. You can do whatever you want. I, I think there's a reason that Alex Gibney's film about Enron is titled The Smartest Guys in the Room, because that's always the core of the grift. It's like, you know, when we, you know, we didn't know about who SBF was, John said, right? But we heard, hey, this guy's the smartest guy in the room. He's figured out some shit you don't even fucking know about. And we were like, damn, I guess, I mean, he seems to be very rich. I guess he is pretty smart. You know, I don't know. You know, you know? know what's funny is I've learned over the years that if I don't know about it or it doesn't make sense to my teeny little puny brain, it's a scam. Yeah. Every time, like, I, like people will do these things. They'll tell me stories and then like, it'll be like, I don't understand how the money got from there to there. That doesn't <laughs> make any sense. And these are just things that people like kind of like accept as reality. Like, you know, I don't it's, know. It's innovation. Someone, you know, remember last week, Eli Lilly apparently tweeted out this, this thing with their verified account that they were going to like uh, charge $0 for diabetes medications and the whole market went down explain that doesn't make sense to me right so some right. person with an account that was like three days old tweeted this out and the bots had already trained themselves on the account and and the whole market tanked because this random like something doesn't work there no, so you like, know my theory yeah. on all that Come on. is that is that it was the, the causation was the other way around like something happened like this was the moment to get your bad news out and then reverse engineer it with a stupid tweet and blame it on the tweet and distract oh. from uh, but that's another story all i'm saying is like things don't make sense and like that's the same with this this whole thing the whole ftx thing it didn't smell right it didn't and, smell right but also watching it in terms of the red flags, I really want to um, talk about the effective altruism side of it. So, and also the yeah. fact that he was a vegan, which I think is these are both red flags. No, I'm just joking. I'm no, sure they are. Not. No, they are red flags. <laughs> they are. Sorry, if there are any vegans. In the room. No, they are. How does um, a vegan have man boobs? <laughs> well, that's that's how you get man boobs. Yeah, because you know Oreos are vegan. Do you know that Oreos are vegan? You can eat a hell of a bunch of Oreos, and that's totally those vegan, are the best. So. Those are the best cookies. It can't. Most candy is vegan. Like you eat chips I never thought about that. But anyway, yeah. effective altruism. Is it a cult? That's yes. my question. Yes. It's Emphatically. Very yeah. much like Scientology. I, I, think, I think Eric Weinstein nailed this uh, perfectly. And this is one of uh, his better framings that I've, I've taken from him, which is that uh, the idealism of an era is usually a cover story for theft. And I think you can see that laid bare here in this case that the effective altruist movement, uh, especially in Sam's case, was largely a cover story for misdeeds and misbehavior so that you could tell yourself that you were a good person and project a large shield of virtue to hide behind while you were literally stealing customer deposits. Right. I mean, do you yeah, think it's, I, it's for him personally that Hoddle that like he's telling the story so he himself yeah, can well, explain it away in his own mind? In his own evo conscience? Well, evolutionary game theory shows that. Um, when we delude ourselves, when we lie to ourselves, we become much more effective liars to others. And so it actually behooves you, if you're going to be an effective liar, to believe your own bullshit. There's that famous psychological experiment where people do horrible things if they think it's for a good cause, right? That, that, right. I, yeah. So, yeah, I think that is that is correct. So if somebody's just moving back to the conspiracy theory, if somebody says, you know, hey, you're going to do all this crap, but hey... Maybe you uh, do a bit Brad, of effective altruism. It'll all be good. The ends justify the means. Oh, yeah. Brad, how long would this grift have gone if the balance sheet hadn't been leaked? 
I don't think much longer, honestly. I, I, this this is why I was calling it out before I knew specifically what the problem was. I just knew that there was a massive problem in, in the whole industry and that there was some big players ready to fall. Mm -hmm. That that the, the, the foundational principle that you can value a token created from nothing at billions of dollars, collateralize it, and then take loans, that just doesn't make any sense. We've seen it time and time again through every collapse on wall street and in traditional financial markets there's it, it all comes back down to a freeze up in trust a freeze up in liquidity and usually a toxic over leveraged balance sheet based and, on derivatives or something and then really second point, i want to just say do you know how i know that sam is new no if he if he weren't new his first move would have been to to bitfinex himself yeah 100 percent why didn't why didn't he remember when Bitfinex uh, offer had a hair offer a haircut yeah, yeah offer they, a haircut, haircut to everybody but they sold yeah. their liabilities uh, to all the users and they yeah I was wondering them. how how that how it is that Bitfinex got away with that and why FTX wouldn't have done it well, well, FTX didn't do it because Sam, it. Sam Sam doesn't know that Bitfinex did that he's a new well, Bitfinex he's actually new. got like hacked though they got some money stolen from them like SBF yeah, Sam could have been like it was a hack. It was a hack that happened, you know. Yes, yeah, Sam. Sam's new here. He didn't. He didn't go through the machinations like it was hacked, uh, and uh, and then and then he could have done that. He could have run the grift a little longer or forever. Like who knows? What if he turned it into a, a legitimate exchange and then slowly paid back these people? Had the force yeah. hodl for these people? Um, like it just would have. It, it surprised me that he didn't go for the uh, the Bitfinex route because that that proved that you could actually do this alternative thing and save your exchange. Well, well I think okay. another thing like, Oh, go ahead, Brad. Go ahead. Just, just the, the comment, a comment on like the specific relationships that were happening in crypto and, and, and Bitcoiners are like standing aside from all this, not really wa like paying attention, watching too closely. It's unfortunate that this does affect Bitcoin and that it's uh, lumps Bitcoin and crypto because all these grifters like to use Bitcoin as their affinity scam to get people in the door because Bitcoin's the most like liquid brand aware thing that mm -hmm. regular people are going to hear about. So like Alex Mashinsky from Celsius would be like, you know, the evil bankers, you know, you can't trust them. Deposit your, you know, get into right. Bitcoin with Celsius, deposit your money with us. And really it's just, he's running the same grift. All, all, the, all these other people are doing by printing illegal securities, like unregistered securities, marking them up, like pumping them, market making the whole thing. And then, Just to put it very simply, we refer to this as an affinity scam in Bitcoin. And the scam is, I like Bitcoin, buy my shitcoin. And so you come through talking about Bitcoin and then you go, and also I have yeah. FTT token for you, right? So FTX, yeah. FTX back in 2020, I was, calling the, I was calling them out specifically back in 2020 because they like, okay, so this is the problem with all of crypto they cannibalize the investor base and the mind share of the investment energy. It's all balkanized into these many, many different tokens and projects where in Bitcoin, we are all concentrating our energy towards building on Bitcoin and, but not financializing the things that we build. Mm. You know, we're doing it in ways that are just using traditional equities or securities laws, you know, like companies are raising and they're, issuing equity where in crypto um and ethereum specifically was the was the thing where this was like enabled 
because they created the ERC-20 model and the ICO model and then the, the liquidity uh, farming model. If you're a fan of a project on Ethereum, if you're a founder of a project on Ethereum or in crypto or in DeFi, you have to also become like a promoter of that shitcoin. You have to like, oh, I love Ethereum, but also you have to also like love my coin for my protocol I built. And then you can also collateralize that if you want and borrow on this lending protocol over here. And then you can get stable coins. And then, you know, also there's a bridge where you can take that to this other blockchain my friend runs. So buy that coin too. Mm -hmm. And the bridge has a token. So buy the bridge token because then you save on fees. And the bridge is if you want to provide liquidity for any of these tokens, we'll give you yield. So put your dollars and your Bitcoin yeah. in the liquidity pool, provide liquidity, and then get 20% yield. So before you know it, that's what FTX got themselves into yeah. in 2020 mm -hmm. playing that game. They launched FTT token as an ICO for the FTX exchange. They launched the Solana blockchain. Like they're they're the financiers behind that. They're one of the main parties behind the Solana blockchain. So they had to also do the Solana ICO and promote the Solana coin. They had the Serum Dex, which is the decentralized exchange of Solana. They did a five cent seed round for that back in 2020, and they had to get like all these crypto funds involved and promote it on crypto Twitter and get all the traders involved. So before you know it, like in 2020, they had three coins that they created from nothing. And then they were also the market makers. So they create I, the coins, I make the market. Know. Sorry, Brad. Sorry to like, this is me just being slow. So that Solana was a FTX thing. I, oh I didn't yeah. Realize. Alameda was one of the main backers <laughs> along with Multicoin Capital and, you know, Chamath mm -hmm. Palihapitiya was a LP in Multicoin Capital. A um, bunch of a bunch of Silicon Valley folks were because, involved in that as well. Because mm. the, the like going back to the like conspiracy theory, <laughs> obviously he was a d Democrat uh, uh, donor, but apparently one of the partners was a big Republican donor, and Solana obviously was the Melania and NT uh, NFTs, right? So. I don't know. It's very interesting. Apparently, SPF SPF has uh, tweeted since we started this podcast. Really? Now we have, we have the entire range of cryptographic um, signals coming from his account. What the hell does this mean? Well, is clearly, he, he it's like very unclear messages? what he's trying to say here. I what mean, happened? this is any word, any series I, of words. I think this is a hash. I think it's... it's uh, we're going to get the pre-image at so some QAnon. point. I think it's meth. I don't think it's hash. I think it's more meth. Meth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Brad, back to what you were talking about, about the type of behaviors that were going on. I think, um, you know, the people that are, in my mind, bear a lot of responsibility for this are the VCs. Because the VC, if you came out with a, you know, I have a, a Bitcoin company, I have a crypto company I want to do. I'm, you know, thinking of providing real value to customers. They were like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't provide real value to customers. That's crazy. No, you should slap a token on this puppy and uh, then we're going to take it for a fucking ride. You know what I'm saying? And the phrase that the VCs were using was short time to liquidity, right? Which means like they get to be uh, first out of the Ponzi scheme. First, into the Ponzi scheme, first out of the Ponzi scheme, right? And they bear a tremendous degree of responsibility. And maybe, you know, Alan can talk a little bit to this too. Oh yeah, no, no, this is, uh, I don't really have much to add other than verifying it directly. Like, so for your, I think probably most people on this call know, but for your uh, your audience who don't know who I am. So I, I worked in investment management for a long time, but I recently left to 
um, amongst other things, a couple of related things, but start a Bitcoin VC fund. And part of the reason I wanted to do that is, I mean, aside from, I think it's a good idea to do anyway, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Um, but when I was still in uh, a far larger institution and we were looking at some of these Bitcoin companies with me as like the token Bitcoin are leading the charge, right? Literally every single one of them repeated exactly what what Hoddle just said. And keep in mind, these aren't like kind of agnostic tech companies or even, you know, there's like some cryptography angle and they're getting pressure. They're like literally Bitcoin companies. You know, they're open about what they're doing being Bitcoin related. And then they go to Andreessen Horowitz, Sequoia, whoever, it doesn't really matter. And every single time they get pressured to stick a token in it and give and, and give these people the allocation. And so part of the reason I, I, I'm not saying this to, you know, come across like saintly or anything like I, I'm a capitalist, right? But part of the reason that I want to do what I'm now setting out to do is to provide enough Bitcoin native, if you like, uh, venture capital money so that Bitcoin companies don't have to put up with this shit anymore. <laughs> I think I think there's this weird problem globally, but particularly like it it seems to manifest in crypto a lot, which is we give credibility to people with money, undue mm. credibility. Mm. We we seem to mm. think that like money is itself the uh the medal of credibility, if you will, it is the diploma. And I think that a number of us have been here long enough to to realize that idiots get rich too sometimes. Yeah. Even I think there's a particular deception with Silicon Valley, though, in that I completely agree with that. But we also fail to distinguish between people who have actually earned that money by providing value and people who have. Well, there's probably a bigger spectrum than just this. But in their case, people who are managing money. But or, Alan, I'll, I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you what, like, I know a lot of people who've earned their money and are millionaires, multi, multi-millionaires who are QAnoners. You know, right. no, like, no, I don't say that makes it it's, fine. It's just, just not, that. it's just it not a even worse, right? And if you're a Q and honor watching the show, know that we also believe in Q. So <laughs> don't stop watching. Well, me and John Seth have been looking for the Frazzle Drip video. And if you have been it, looking, if you have it, we have we've agreed that if you have the Frazzle Drip video, we will become Q and honors full on. We promise. <laughs> no, yeah, it, I just held on um, Bill on what, what Brad was saying earlier, and actually, there's a there's a really nice link to Silicon Valley here. So the the article that you mentioned that I put out a few days ago, uh, in the introduction, is kind of making this point of tying all of see, this. My together. intro was great, Isabella. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was amazing. Spot I was spot on. I was um, that the the reason the Bitcoin affinity scam is particularly grating, right, is that. All of this crypto shit is somehow more fiat than fiat itself, right? It's like the exact thing that Bitcoin is supposed to be improving upon, if not ultimately replacing. It's like being marketed, the crypto stuff is being marketed as that and yet taking what it's an improvement of to this like ridiculous new extreme. And I mean, there's a whole, there's like a bunch of different reasons for this. One of them, actually, I remember Brad talking about very eloquently the last time he was on here, which is that because the people doing it are so financially illiterate, they're actually just rediscovering everything in TradFi, but just dumber, clumsier versions of it. So that's, I, that's I think, one big problem. I think what's important about what we've been uncovering in crypto, and I don't, I say crypto, not Bitcoin for a reason. I think that DeFi stuff proves that TradFi is nothing but a bunch of scams, if not yes. for the regulation. <laughs> If not for the regulation, 
right? And the only like reason there's... we discovered that was because DeFi is transparent, so we can see all the things they rebuilt. Well, but, but Brad, I'm not saying that well, well, DeFi is a scam. So, what I'm, what I'm saying is the regulation is the only thing mm -hmm. that makes TradFi work. And no, that's... there's one more. There's one more, and it's hilarious, and you can compare it to Bitcoin as well, right? TradFi has a central bank. So yes. One, DeFi is transparent, so you can see it as it's happening, but two, it can't be bailed out. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's that, 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 I went back to, uh, I was it's, like, say, it's like Beanie Babies with Time Warner. There was no central bank. <laughs> to prove Junce's point, I just went back through um, reminiscences of a stock operator where he's talking about trading in the early 1900s. And he's like, yeah, I went to the bucket shop and I told the man, Cotty Swallop, I'll never pay you, sir. You know, right. And uh, it was like this totally unregulated industry back then. And in the book, read that book, right in the book, he's talking about um, industry coming or regulation coming in. And, you know, taxes coming in and all the guys at the bucket shops are like, this is the end of the world, you know, and he's sitting there being like, you guys are a bunch of cheats, basically, like you're fucking me over mm -hmm. every time I come in here, you know. 100%. Great book. Very good book. Yeah. Um, but also, like, it differentiates. Isn't, isn't there a bit in it where like, he can make loads of money on the bucket shops, but he can't later do it in the real market? Because, right. yeah, exactly, because he's not got the same flow info. But, um so where 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 next? I mean, where is the contagion now? What what? Because there's been talk about crypto.com. I don't even know what crypto.com is. Like, is that an exchange? It's right? the same they thing. Also as FTX. sponsor a stadium. Yeah, the same thing as FTX. It's just there's crypto.com or like it? Celsius. They're they're more like Celsius. A lot FTX. of Americans are in crypto.com, aren't they? Any uh, any crypto company that just bought their way into uh, stadiums naming rights, uh, yeah, they're going fucking down. Like that's your that's your sign, right? There. You know what? See, I, you know what? I also think this is the end of weirdly is I think influencer marketing is is coming to an end with a lot of this. And mm, the reason I say that is because the way that old advertising worked is there was a bifurcation between the content and the advertisement, right? So you'd be like, oh, I'm watching Mork and Mindy. Look at Robin Williams; he's really funny. And then like afterwards, like buy our maxi pads for your uh, vaginal uh, period flows. And then you'd be like, well, Robin, Will you don't, you don't think like Robin Williams sponsors those maxi pads. He says they're great. You know, like there was a bifurcation between the two, right? You could, you could advertise maxi pads and, and have absolutely no feelings about how thoughts about how Robin Williams feels about it. But now what happens is these influencers are making a giant mistake in that they're poor. These are not rich people. You know, mm -hmm. they might have, you know, if they're really good, they might have a million or two million dollars, whatever. Not enough to deal with the fact that when when uh, someone paid them a, a little bit of money, they went on uh, to their channel with millions of followers and said, I fully support you putting all of your money into this crypto exchange. I did it myself. You too <laughs> should do it. Give them all your money. I love this crypto exchange. Sam Bankman Freed is my favorite person in the world. Right. Like they don't have they don't have the money to deal with those lawsuits. So like mm -hmm. this is a, it, it's, it's the industry is taking advantage of people with influencer marketing. And I can't believe how dumb this generation is like glomming onto these influencers and listening to them. Yeah. I mean, if I were to listen to influencer marketing, I'd have to believe that like Ben Shapiro has like 37 different kinds of mattresses. You know, who's your, who's your favorite influencer? <laughs> Mine? Yeah. If Kim you Kardashian. Kim. She's Kim. the best. Brad, She's the Brad who's your favorite influencer? Uh, Gary V. Don't know who that is. Alan? I don't I'm think I know kidding. who any, I mean, other than crypto, but like Twitter. Just say Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, just say Floyd. 
Huddle? Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. Forgot. Yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a huge Grant Cardone guy myself. I just think Grant's right on the Grant Cardone, the Scientologist. Oh yeah, he knows his stuff, man, about real estates. He knows all about the real estates. Yo, uh, so (laughs) Isabel was asking, you know, what do we think is next? And uh, basically, like, there are a lot of there was a uh, Twitter thread that was just put out by this guy Travis Kling was running this fund, Icky Guy, and they, you know, basically. Post-mortem, they lost a majority of, uh, you know, uh, LP funds. And there are a bunch of those in the, like, you know, mid eight-figure to low nine-figure range that had a lot of their money locked up on FTX. And those are all going to become unsecured creditors, get pennies on the dollar, like, you know, maybe five cents on the dollar for every dollar lost. It's pretty much a total write-down. And then, you know, there's going to be this... There's at least probably one more big domino to fall, and I, we think it's crypto.com potentially, but nobody really knows. So we're just kind of uh, we have our popcorn out, and well, we're like, waiting. I feel like Brad probably does know. No, I don't mean to put you on the spot and tell you to predict the future, but I read something. This could, he's been very good at it. Right. He has yeah, yeah. before Brad it. predicts the future. But before, want, before, before, I think we need to just point out this amazing comment. Yes, oh, that'd be me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Trump. Um, Orange man, good. <laughs> yeah, Orange man, good. I, 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 Isabella was very explicit about this uh, to me beforehand. And I, I got lost in my own eyes before when we were doing the intro, so I forgot to do it. If you're enjoying this discussion, <laughs> uh, tweet it out. More importantly, follow or subscribe to the channel. We need a thousand subscribers uh, so that we can have you pay us to start making comments. That's really our goal: is to start uh, having. <laughs> You pay us in order to read the comments. Hand so, math. Uh, Not a good yeah, idea. So, I think it was one zero zero. When I was a kid, there was a song called Googleplex that went like that. One zero 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 zero. Anyhow, so uh, if you if you're watching and you're enjoying it, please subscribe. We'd love it. Tweet it out. We want more people listening. Uh, and with that, I'm uh, give I'll give you tw- 15 seconds. 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. And now Brad can uh, give us his uh, prediction. Should we get we more people? Well, what was Alan saying? Oh, no, I, have, I haven't asked him what I want him to predict yet. But now, now Alan can ask Brad to make a prediction. So I, I read that crypto.com is in basically the same position as FTX was with regards to their own bullshit token that doesn't mean anything or do anything propping up their balance sheet. Is that, is that position that doggy happened? style behind so, Catherine or Caroline? So crypto.com, there's a reason I haven't specifically called out crypto.com aside from just in general, all the crypto is bullshit. All the crypto stuff is mostly bullshit, Ponzi-nomics and pyramid scheme level like marketing crap. And, and I don't want to say pon- everything's a Ponzi or whatever. I, I, I try to be specific with my criticisms because what we're seeing right now is all the crypto people are saying, we, we you know the Bitcoiners are just toxic. They never saw this coming. They're just dancing on the grave of all these failed projects because they call everything a scam. And also, so like yes. in 2017, that was the case for, for a lot of it. A lot of Bitcoiners were just like vocal Bitcoiners. We're just calling everything a scam or, or a Ponzi, just just straight up calling it a scam or a Ponzi. And I realized like, yeah, that is not very helpful when you when you can be if you can be on the record for saying specifically why this thing is a fraud or has a Ponzi mechanic or is just overvalued, way overvalued. And maybe it's a, a shirking the regulatory laws in this way, in that way, in this way, which will get people in trouble th- rather than just saying, oh, this is a fraud in a Ponzi. 
then you, you can kind of point back to that and say, look, I had some credibility here. Why don't you listen to me? Which will disarm their claim that all Bitcoiners didn't know this was going to happen. And we're, they're all just out there saying everything's a scam and a, and a fraud. So I specifically try not to say ETH is a Ponzi. ETH is a scam. Because if you say Ethereum is a Ponzi scam, then people are not going to take you seriously when you say Celsius is committing fraud and it is literally a Ponzi scam with a hole in its balance sheet that's going to cause millions of people to lose their money. So I, I try to be specific. And I think now I've got a lot of ammo that I can go back to and point to, like where I was specifically calling out the risks for projects like Celsius, Alameda, uh, Luna. I mean, I detailed specifically how Luna was going to collapse in January before most people are even aware the risk was there. And this all does stem back to January. When Luna collapsed, it was the first domino really in the the entire unwinding of this risky stuff that was going on since 2020 because it started the bear market it really started the crypto bear market because you can't have that kind of level of unwinding cleanly because it was all synthetic derivatives and everybody was taking too much leverage celsius was taking customer money billions of dollars of customer money customer money and putting it in anchor protocol on the terra luna blockchain to mint UST coins, which were fake dollars. So that grew to $18 billion on the back of Three Arrows Capital, borrowing unsecured in the unsecured crypto markets, kind of like the LIBOR, but like instead of banks, it's like 12-year-olds and you know League of Legends players borrowing billions of dollars. So they're, they're borrowing unsecured, going and taking that money, buying Bitcoin, collateralizing the Bitcoin wrapping it on another blockchain, earning yield for doing it, and then depositing it into Ponzi scams like Terra Luna. And Celsius was doing this. Mike Novogratz was doing this. The co-founder of Real Vision was doing this. Three Arrows Capital was doing this. And Alameda was doing this. Jump is involved in this as well in propping these markets up and making these markets. So crypto.com, to their credit, was not nearly as egregious in the type of degenerate activities they were trying to do with customer funds as, as Celsius. So, I mean, I was specifically calling Celsius out because I knew that they were taking customer funds and locking it into the staked ETH contract before it was even ready to be locked up. And they ended up losing million, like tens of millions of dollars of funds to, like by just losing the private key. We talked about this on the last episode, how Celsius had done, had did that. Crypto.com didn't do that. Um, Crypto.com wasn't an active player in the DeFi stuff. Like they were, Crypto.com is doing yield. So they were doing more traditional borrow lend stuff. They weren't actually going and depositing customer money in these risky protocols that end up getting hacked. And then they have to eat the loss and print more tokens and sell more tokens onto the market to, to make up the hole. So, Yes, CRO is the token that crypto.com has, and so is Nexo. Nexo has a coin. The SEC came out in 2018, and they, you know, the very first lending project in crypto was called Salt Lending. And Salt Lending had a token called Salt. They did an ICO that was very popular back in the last cycle. And we all learned the lessons because the SEC came after them and they said, like, this is an illegal security. You can't you can't do this. And they ordered rescission. So salt lending had to give all the money back. But even before that happened, all the investors of the salt token, they 
never saw any of the benefits of the growth of the SALT platform. So like the, the, the shareholders in the company, SALT Lending, did pretty well because SALT actually survived the bear market and they, they actually got a lot of profits in the end from their lending activities when they started being more conservative. But the token holders of the SALT token ended up just pretty much going to zero. And then the SEC stepped in and offered ordered rescission. Crypto.com, Celsius, uh, Nexo, all, all these lending projects that had their own tokens and did 2018, 17, 18 ICOs, they never reconciled like SALT Lending did. So there's still risk overhang there for all of these platforms that, that did illegal security offerings that the regulators now that this is all coming out are going to really clamp down hard on them. And it's more so the risk of liquidity freeze up than it is they're a giant Ponzi scam and they're like doing a lot of fraudulent stuff with customer money. So I 100%, if anybody is in any of these platforms, take your money off. Like you, sh like no question, take your money off. Crypto.com and Nexo and all these other companies, it's just general risk right now. You do not want to be in a, a, a company that takes your money and puts it into towards lending because you don't know who's mm -hmm. insolvent at this point. And so the one shady thing that Crypto.com did recently, which is extremely shady, that makes me start to question them a little more than I have been in the past, was they fat-fingered a send of $400 million to Gate.io, which is a offshore no KYC exchange that, that you know people use to get in and out of crypto with no KYC AML checks. So crypto.com accidentally sends them $400 million. That's the story they're trying to tell everybody. Oh, oops, it was a it was a fat finger, um, but we got the money back. Don't worry. Well, it just so happens that seven days after crypto.com, fat finger sent $400 million to gate.io. Gate.io releases a proof of reserve statement showing how well capitalized they are. And the next day they sent the money back to crypto.com. So clearly it's accounting fraud. I mean, what else is it? Like it's 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 like you, you send a bunch of money to somebody who's got a hole in their balance sheet on pay them. A, they'll pay you a little bit for for doing that so that they can appear solvent. And then you send them the money back. Mm -hmm. This kind of crazy shit happens all the time in crypto. So it's like you can't really trust anybody okay. right now. Devil's advocate. Right. It wasn't fraud because they did have the reserves. Sure. <laughs> Just, Maybe just to, just, to, just to back Brad's point real quick about withdrawing from exchanges. Um, this week was the largest week over week uh, amount of Bitcoin taken off exchanges ever in Bitcoin's history. It's one hundred. Told you, Phil's behind the whole thing. Yeah, one hundred fifteen thousand <laughs> Bitcoin were taken off exchanges. So there's an industry wide bank run going on on all crypto exchanges, and you don't want to be the last person stuck inside. So if you can 100%. withdraw. Now is the perfect time to learn about self-custody. You can buy what's called a hardware wallet. You want to buy it direct from the manufacturer. It's pretty easy. There's a lot of guides online from trusted individuals. So, you know, and if you need help, you can reach out to any of us on the chat uh, and we will help you with it directly. Oh, this is so there's something We're else. Provide the personal service. That's good. Um, you can do mine to begin with. <laughs> um, but, but but quickly, just whilst we're on crypto.com, do we how big is crypto.com? Do we have any idea of like in, in the hierarchy of exchanges where it comes? Like they have about three billion dollars right now of user funds. Custody. And where are they based? Somewhere overseas. I don't know. 
because the CEO or whoever the founder, he's he's a Polish guy, isn't he? Chris, well, he sounds Polish. Chris Marszalek, is that is that right? Yeah, I don't know if he's Polish, but he's not Polish. not the, like a lot of these companies actually were after the 2017 bubble that like they they left the U.S. or they made sure to incorporate in, outside of the U.S. And Crypto.com actually performed a token conversion to try to rid themselves of the stigma of their previous token. They, they used to be called Monaco. They did an ICO in 2017 and they were called Monaco and they had, the token was MCO. And then in 2019, they rebranded, they bought crypto.com because they, they, they didn't stay in ETH and they actually took all their ICO money and they converted it to dollars and some to Bitcoin. And then, and so some of these companies are actually extremely well capitalized because they kept in Bitcoin or they they sold all their ETH before the bubble crash last time. And they so these were one of the, these were one of the guys that that used the ICO money to rebrand as Crypto.com, buy that domain, do a token conversion to CRO, and then they actually did hire a market maker to mark up the price of the CRO token from one cent in May 2019. It was one cent around May 2019 to by the end of 2019, it was about 10 cents. So they, they marked it up 10 X. They've got a massive pre-mined bag of their own coin. They use it. They sell it on the markets, like on Binance and FTX and to, to partly to fund their operation, like buying stadiums. So part of the meteoric rise of crypto.com was in 2021. They, they marked that token up to 80 cents. So it went, it went 80 X. The value of their pre-mined shitcoin tokens went up 80x and they used that money to fill any holes where maybe they fat fingered, um, maybe they made bad loans, they did huge amounts of marketing. They they use that to subsidize the high yield that they give customers to as a honeypot to get them to send the crypto into crypto.com. So like part of that, and they actually had this but basically akin to like what private companies do when they mark their own equity like i i find it mm -hmm. it's kind of analogous no mm, well no it's a lot dumber than that because <laughs> your own equity isn't on your balance sheet and your own equity has governance rights yeah yeah of course but like when when uh... when you pay out employees with your own crypto you know your sorry your own equity like an you know, equity options or whatever and you mark it on a completely you know opaque valuation well, sure but like presumably your own employees will value your own equity whereas this is more like you know you're functionally insolvent and you're trying and, to pay and, wait, and, and listen for equity. <laughs> Mm -hmm. this, this is what they were doing. This is what they were doing. That was like nothing like the traditional system that ma makes it even insane. It makes it just insane. Like, honestly, it just makes it insane. You, you would, they were encouraging customers to buy their token and then lock up their token in this time locked contract thing where it, depending on how much you bought and locked up, you would get access to buy other shit coins at discounts. So that would be, that would be like, the equivalent of a of like an Apple offering this thing, where if you locked up Apple shares, you could buy Microsoft shares at a discount, and thinking that that well, was I, like somehow Brad, I don't legal. Think even calling it a share is helpful because it's like a gift voucher. 
Yeah, I mean, there are there are different rights associated. Don't you think, don't you think it's more like it, 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 I mean, from what I understand from the whole point of this, that I don't think there is any right? parallel in the traditional <laughs> system. It's just not. No, I think I think they're not I mean, I, I was, just unusual was, for an exchange, right? Because it gives you it gives you a discount on stuff you would services you would buy from them anyway. You get to buy them at a discount if you. Well, no, so they were actually like the crazy thing about it was they were. A hundred percent breaking securities laws in a blatant way because they were they were yeah. they were acting as like a an, a brokerage to sell other illegal securities if you locked up enough illegal securities of theirs. So if you locked up enough of their illegal security, they would broker you other illegal securities at a discount. And it was used as like a Ponzi-nomic lockup mechanism until there until it basically became like obvious that that was totally illegal. And they shut the whole thing down and switched yeah, so to maybe, the yield thing. Maybe it's like a gift voucher, but for someone else's business. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, them, yeah. you put them on your balance sheet, and then you're like, hey, we're solvent. <laughs> um, the you're muted, Joseph. Oh, you're muted, Josh. Oh. <laughs> there it is. It's very interesting to me. The, the Ponzi scheme you thought was like perfectly, perfectly constructed. Like there was no innovation that could have occurred. But like crypto showed up. And we were able to put these like tools to use and really like innovate on the Ponzi. Uh, and I'm really proud of that, first of all. Um, second, on crypto.com, can you can you get a crypto.com account if you're not an American? I don't think you can, right? If you're not an American. No, you can. Can you? Okay, so you can, but but FTX, you're not I, I think you had to it was for inter, it was an international thing, unless you go to FTX US, no, the, nobody uh, used. At the beginning, you could like they FTX had a lot of Americans using it. Even still, when they felt when they collapsed, there were well, still Americans, Americans. Just, they weren't supposed to. It's different. It's different supposed. if you have to use a yeah. VPN, right? right? I'm saying, like, you as an American are not like they're generally a lot of these exchanges will ban you if they, they'll say, "Oh, you can't because you're an American." Yeah, yeah they get tried a VPN to trivially get around it. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's what that's what Bitmex got done it, for. Right? It's weird. Yeah. It's weird to me that these these organizations, like, and in the U.S., first of all, Sam Bankman-Fried was is one of the biggest international exchange operators. Mm -hmm. He's in Congress telling them how they should think about regulating uh, crypto mm. for Americans. And then second, that they're advertising to United States citizens with things like the Super Bowl or right. with stadium well, deals. Giselle. It's really Giselle weird. and Tom Giselle Brady. Munchen, Tom Brady, two of the most knowledgeable crypto Larry people David. in America. What, what do they call, they call that? Larry told us not to use FTX. If you yeah, he did. The name for this is called surrogate advertising, right? So like you have um, FTX US. And then you're advertising FTX, the brand, but really like you go to FTX, you, ask, you find out there's no liquidity and then you just get on a VPN and you go to FTX International, right? Um, they used to do this in India with alcohol. You weren't allowed to advertise alcohol. They do this so the with gambling as well. Right. Like, the alcohol brand like would, would own a water company and then they would be like, it's our water, but it's the same brand name, you know? I just came up with a great conspiracy theory. I should have thought of this earlier, right? Well, hmm. I'm not sure this really explains actually what happened with FTX, but it's just juicy anyway, right? This is why Tom Brady came out of retirement. He knew this was going to happen. He got the balance sheet. He was what, pretty he didn't get he's, a, he's, a, he's an investor. He saw the how balance sheet. How much money? Fuck, how much money? FTX. I need to go back to playing. 
But how by much the way, money did he have before uh, all this? We don't know. Well, he he was worth about a half million dollars. Him and Giselle, or half a billion. Half billion? Him and Giselle. Oh, well, didn't they yeah. lose? I didn't they didn't they have like six hundred million invested in FTX? That that's a fake story. There's no way that's true. If it is true, Jesus Christ! I mean, but there's no way I, that's true. I I don't think it's false. Jensen, back to the point that you said about you know Sam taking all these uh, illegal illicit funds and using them to cozy up to American regulators. One of the conspiracy theories, don't know how well founded this is or not, is that. Uh, Gary Gensler and Sam had a sort of special relationship uh, through the MIT, uh, you know, uh, feeder over there, right? And uh, that Gary relationship that like a priest would have with his altar boys or something, you know. (laughs) And that Gary Gensler allegedly, I don't know if this is true or not, was trying to bring FTX International uh, on shore and give it safe harbor for the entire exchange, which we now found out is a criminally fraudulent enterprise. I mean, that's that's crazy if true, like just insane. I mean, that's the conspiracy I heard. And that's why CZ had a motive. Um, I mean, if we go a bit Columbo on this, like CZ yeah. had a motive to do that initial tweet, right? Because what what theoretically was happening was what you know when like you get you become the monopoly and then you cozy up to the regulators because you don't mind if the regulations go up once you already have the the market share because it just pushes out the competition so you gate you do a you know a nice moat through the regulations so that was the conspiracy and therefore cz was going to be um regulated out and sbf is going to be regulated in and he had every incentive to expose the situation CZ yeah. is coming out of this as well as Tether on top, it's, which is funny because a lot of people in traditional finance, especially like are super like salty about Bitcoin and but specifically Tether. And they think Tether is a big Ponzi scam that's been propping right. up Bitcoin. And it turns out that it's like Tether's weathering all of this so far really every well. year. <laughs> oldest of the oldest of the scams. And and they've they've been doing good treasury management decisions. They've been like eliminating all their corporate bond exposure. They 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 told us they never had any um, uncollateralized debt to Three Hours Capital or Celsius before the collapse, and uh, they they successfully liquidated the the, the over collateralized position that they had with Celsius, the one billion dollar um, position, and they never took any losses. Um, so like it. They have a massive treasury right now, 50 billion or something like that of U.S. treasuries. And they're making a lot of yield on that at the moment. Um, And Binance is, is, yeah, Binance is coming out of this as like they were the dominant exchange before this by a huge factor, by a factor of like 10x over Coinbase and FTX. Binance, Binance was massive the whole time and and they never did any of this like stadium naming shit like they just kept building and kept growing because they have lindy effect in terms of the exchanges when 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 bitcoiners think of like exchanges or when when just regular people think of crypto exchanges you kind of think coinbase that's where you first go but like mm-hmm. it's really binance binance signups on binance were 10x signups on coinbase the volume is massive and Unfortunately, though, they do have their own printed shitcoin BNB, which adds a risk. But they never did any of the uh, they never did any of the like lending, the super risky lending stuff. So just like I wasn't concerned with crypto.com before all this, like I was really concerned with Celsius. 
I, I wasn't ever really that concerned with Binance other than like they run a casino and they're like trying to not, not to mention Brad they also tell you exactly what their shitcoin does right like yeah, they offer just, like yes yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a buy and burn it's a coupon you get it you get like we're literally a, we're literally a crypto security uh we're just a yeah but then you get it loss. you get it and you get cheaper trades on Binance right that's the yeah. whole, like you're paying for trades so like they have like I feel I feel like this is this is becoming this is becoming like an Agatha Christie um, murder on the Orient Express, murder on the Crypto Express sort of thing, because so everyone. So much more interesting than an Agatha Christie novel. No, 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 I love <laughs> so Agatha Christie. More. Okay, maybe I'm with Columbo. you. I love my Poirot, you know. No, no, but it, it is but, really. It's like uh, everyone has. It's like all the different characters. You know who they are. They've all got different motives. Yeah, you know, there's a lot work. of motives here. To, to um, like... like who's the who's the victim? The victim is obviously SBF. Who done it? You know. Um, who who SBF. had it. well and it turns always... out it turns out that SBF done it because <laughs> right. like SBF they had itself. a bad rep yeah. they had a bad reputation before this because like there's there's about three or four main influential um segments of crypto aside from Bitcoiners because we're just kind of over here eating popcorn like holding our own keys watching this thing burn down but there's there's so there's the Silicon Valley Coinbase ethereum crowd they are like the um you know the andreessen horowitz and, and all of those folks that were building and supporting all the ethereum stuff to compete with bitcoin then there was the ftx alameda uh three or three hours capital jump jump trading got into it um multi-coin capital they're they're like the solana branch of this universe it's like stanford and, versus mit basically and then and then there's binance and all the affiliated funds China. that work with binance and the, and the binance smart chain and um they all kind of hate each other but they all work together and they all own each other's tokens and stuff and make loans back and forth and liquidate each other in certain ways like what Alameda had a really bad reputation in the Ethereum community because they actually crashed the they were the cause of the uh, or initial crash of DeFi in 2020 because they took their FTT token and used it as collateral in Ethereum DeFi. They so they put up a hundred million dollars or something worth of their FTT token as collateral in a DeFi protocol, borrowed Uniswap token and Comp token and all these blue chip DeFi coins that the ETH Maxis and the Silicon Valley people were like pumping at the time they borrowed them all and then they dumped them all in the market and cratered all the prices of all the eth DeFi coins because they hadn't had yet launched solana so they knew that they were trying to compete with ethereum with solana they saw that the network effects were growing too fast for them to compete with fairly compete with ethereum if they had gotten too far ahead it wouldn't have been it would have been hard for them to dump their solana bags and create solana so they cratered the market to give them about six months of room to be able to launch Solana. They ended up doing that. Multicoin Capital, Chamath Polyapathy, all these VCs got obscenely rich off of Serum and Solana and FTT. And then at the same time, you've got Binance launching their own smart chain to compete with both of them. Jump, Jump gets involved and they start building this wormhole bridge. And this wormhole bridge is a way to bridge between blockchains. So Wormhole gets hacked for $700 million or so. Jump just bails it out. 
they've made billions of dollars. These guys are making billions of dollars in 2021, dumping these shit coins on, on all the people coming in from the celebrities and influencers, bringing all these tens of millions of people into this, into this, into these fraudulent sort of schemes. Jump crypto starts to bail out Luna as well. So this is where it kind of gets a little like you're talking about like who done it and who's the victim here because Jump Crypto was in bed with FTX and Alameda for the Solana FTX side. Binance owned a large percentage of FTX, but they didn't have any participation in the Luna scam. Luna was supported by Mike Novogratz and some VCs that were part of the Ethereum community, but also part of this multi-coin thing. When that got when that blew up, Jump decided along with Three Arrows Capital that they were all going to be bailing this out. So in the end, you got like central bank, like these people trying to act like central banks to bail out all these hacks, exploits, and blowups because they've all got multi-billion-dollar pre-mined bags that they can still dump if the if the market keeps going. So they're making the, the they're making this decision of like. At what point do we pull our capital and do we stop bailing this stuff out? When does it when does it become the economic decision to just exit with the money we've made and not be exposed to the rest of this like thing burning down? And we're at that point right now because th this is what I was identifying back in January. And then and then again when it happened in, with Celsius, I was identifying all these dominoes ready to fall, and at some point they're going to just pull their liquidity. And now it's the final stage of that because. Binance, like you said, obviously Binance did not like the idea that FTX was going to Im invite regulators to come in and strangle the front end exchanges and, and DeFi front ends because that would give FTX the advantage. Jump Crypto actually was part of the Luna thing and wanted to see Luna succeed because they had massive exposure to that. But FTX actually didn't participate. That's like when Bear Stearns or I think it was Bear Stearns and, and during the LTCM collapse decided not to participate in sort of the bailout of LTCM. Correct. They got Correct. thrown under the bus when the whole thing fell down. Well, Jump Jump actually realigned with Binance recently, which is not very publicly disclosed or talked about because FTX decided to back a competing protocol to the wormhole bridge that Jump built on Solana. FTX decided to back Layer Zero, which is this like multi-chain agnostic technology to bridge it's like a directly competitive bridge to jump so jump and fd and binance could have been like could have been very well the ones to start the whole thing and you can see now after the collapse happened jump actually is forking out ftx's ownership of the serum protocol and and it, th th there's two billion dollars worth of tokens that FTX creditors are supposed to get jump is just forking that out. Now they're just removing it. So it's like they're directly stealing from the people that are in, you know, like the, the, the creditors of FTX at this point, because they're like, well, FTX is gone. We're just going to fork their tokens out. So even though these tokens are probably worthless in the end, anyways, they're still like acting like mercenaries and just picking the corpse and taking Wait, Brett, Brett, explain, explain what you mean by forking out the FTX stuff. Well, you know, like they like to say this stuff is all decentralized, but if you control the governance coins that make the votes, you can just put up a community vote to say, should we remove Alameda's uh, token allocation for the serum coin, you know, 
distribution. And then if the community votes yes, then they make a governance change. And really, it's like jump controls the governance of Wormhole. They built it and so and Serum. So all of this governance stuff is like pretty much LARPing. So it's it's just like there's a lot of like complicated relationships and animosity in these big, huge tier one funds. And they kind of have vested interest to go and pillage as much as they can from their competitors. <laughs> and you're seeing it all like come come to fruition now that it's a bear market. They're all like cannibalizing each other where in the bull market everybody was in it together rah 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 let's pump this thing let's bring in all the celebrities let's buy all the sports teams now it's the bear market and you're just seeing them like pick each other's corpses and cannibalize each other it's just insane to see it fall out like this but it was totally predictable can i just say brad how impressive it is that you know all of this like like i get i get that i get that you do it so that you can be a credible critic right and probably also because you find it funny but can you imagine the the stress and the the horror of actually needing to understand this because you have some money on the line? <laughs> By the way, it's Brad like is, yes. Brad is one hundred percent the the smartest dumb person that I know. What's What's <laughs> funny about Brad is Brad. We became friends with Brad during the bear market or during the bull market, and Brad would be telling us all this stuff. He'd be like, "You got hey, you guys don't understand. Like this is gonna happen, then this is gonna happen." We as Bitcoiners, we're like. Who gives a fuck? Well, that's shitcoin stuff, dude. Well, let's talk to Flo says. Brad is doing better analysis than most of the uh, most of my colleagues in the uh, journalism space. By the way, um, or I on the sell that's... side, just to be clear, yeah, because they're in this too. That's true. <laughs> Maybe Brad should like list his own media conglomerate yeah. stroke analysis shop. It would be amazing. Um, <laughs> let's do it, but... guys. Let's do a... <laughs> Shit. I don't know if there's going to be anything a beast, left. Isabel, you shouldn't have said that. I don't know if there's going to be anything left anymore, though, after this. Like, I really do think that this is going to cause severe reaction from the regulators. Like, just like in 2020. Oh, yeah, that's why I buy, I buy the conspiracy theory that he was, like, you know, pumped up to then, you know, bring down. Like, the whole thing was a was a massive uh, honeypot or whatever. But um, one thing I want to, two things I want to mention. First is that his big penthouse in the Bahamas is now up for sale. I just put the link in the private chat. But like just looking looking through some of the, I put his bedroom up as my um, as my background. I suggest we, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, this is what it's effective not even, it's altruism. Not even that big. What? It's not even that big of a bedroom. No, but like some of the other see, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, effective altruism basically is, is very interesting these days. John said, you um, don't need a big bedroom when you sleep in the orgy mosh pit. You just pass out wherever, you know what I mean? I'm just no wondering, bedroom. I think just imagine the stuff that was going on in that bedroom is all I'm going to say. But, I don't um, think you want to. I don't, I really don't think you want to. <laughs> but there are two other aspects. So first, um, just the proof of reserves thing. So that, just to link it to TradFi again. This um, is, again, a manifestation of processes that have always been around because proof of reserves, A, the banks would do this. It was called like quarter end window dressing where they would send funds around for their snap auditing snapshots, snapshots via repo to look mm. healthier than they really were at the key moment when they needed to prove, you know, um, viability or health. Um, but then there was the famous repo 105 mm. where Lehman... Um, did even more shenanigans to try and um, temporarily look um, stronger than they were. So this is this is again 
um it hails to it hails from like conventional finance um of course you're round tripping all these funds uh to cover a, a, a deficit in the system this is also basically how the overnight market for funds works um and usually the central bank will come in to plug that hole if needs be but um yeah. that's how our system operates right uh, so i find that interesting that it's it's kind of evolving in in the same way but the other thing i want to reference is just the bahamas like the role of the bahamas here is very interesting to me because um SBF obviously started off in Asia, right? And then moved to the Bahamas. Bahamas has been very crypto friendly. It has um, been wooing a lot of um, crypto people. It's also done its own sand dollar and um, all sorts of other, I think, experimental stuff. But it's also, I think this is just worth pointing out, the home of Casino Royale. That's where it was filmed. And there was the iconic scene between Le Chiffre and James Bond. So I think for deep state uh, conspiracies, that's also quite interesting. I just wanted to put it out there. I think at this point, we should ask um, our dedicated viewers to put in any questions for any of the panel. Um, do put your questions in, because I think I've got to go in about 15 minutes, but um, you you guys can carry on if you want. <laughs> um, but it'd be good to get some feedback from um, somebody other than the orange man, um, which is obviously... Oh, what, what have you put in the back? You put... Um... Oh, this is Sam Bankman-Fried's girlfriend. This is Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> You're so mean. You're so mean. I didn't draw it. This is a Wojak art. Yeah. I mean... It, it is fascinating. What mm. I mean, Bahamas was all, also the scene of the fire festival scam. Let's not forget. I mean, I I, I wonder if there's a continuing theme. I grant to you that it's mean, but what's meaner, this picture, or stealing billions in user funds? <laughs> well, I'll let you be the judge. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's just mean. It's mean. Yep. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. I really I'm really not fast. Um but but any thoughts about the Bahamas? Do you think this is like is there a, like will the Bahamas be um you know will the, will Gary Gensler come after the Bahamas? I mean can he? I think it's it's under a Chinese protectorate at the moment. He's so going to send the troops. Well the yeah. story about story about Sam is that as you would imagine he greased everybody down there in the Bahamas, right? And so that everybody's been paid off. And uh, so we're going to see what type of justice, you know, Bahamanian officials uh, uh, bring him to. And uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm not holding out for much, honestly, but we'll see. I like the Bahamas. I used to go there quite a bit. And then. Um, Do you, which it. one? Did you go to Nassau? We used to go to Nassau. Yeah. I hate the Bahamas. It's so bad. It's so boring. Ugh. I, I'm getting hungry watching is that hungry Chipotle yeah, I like how you're doing it perfectly <laughs> what are you eating that looks yummy I have, a, um, I have a chipotle burrito and then mm. uh melinda's ghost pepper this is the best maybe melinda could sponsor us that'd be cool very good, um, very good. <laughs> anyway so do we have any questions like otherwise i'm just gonna let you guys riff for another 10 minutes come on guys I, 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 I'm worried about Robin Hood at this point. I think Robin Hood oh, is... Oh, interesting. That's it, actually a very like, good point. Yeah, let's talk about Robin Hood. Robin Hood was working with Jump. And Jump was... Just like Multicoin Capital, Like the they were in bed with Alameda and FTX. Multicoin was, Jump was. And Multicoin, the, the, the founder of Multicoin during 
the night before everything blew up was was retweeting and saying like this is all fud and and like basically saying like don't panic and this is all you know not not anything to worry about while he was withdrawing multicoin's money from ftx so it came out at, in the lp letter the the day after the collapse that they managed to get 25 percent of their funds off of ftx they withdrew 20 23 or something like that so while he was telling people not to panic and it was all fud he was pulling out his money but he didn't get it all out thank god like i hope i hope that's like obvious that those guys were the were the one of the biggest frauds in this whole thing propped up a, a lot of this a lot of this uh, garbage and they deserve to lose their money for sure. But Jump signed a deal with Robinhood last year to be the market maker for users purchasing crypto on Jump on Robinhood. So that is something that we should assume that Robinhood's users have lost funds in FTX and with Jump until proven otherwise. Um one of the things that's just really suspect too is that Jump withdrew a hundred million dollars. They were the top withdrawer of funds from FTX the the night as it was collapsing. They got the most off, and that is not going to probably be fine with regulators and bank the bankruptcy proceedings. Like there's going to be clawbacks for all these. Hopefully, the political donations, the two point four billion dollars that. FTX and the 130 different subsidiaries like <laughs> invested across the crypto space of user funds. And yeah, all, all the bottles of hot sauce that HODL has been using so far, like they're going to be clawed back as well because rumor has it that he was sponsored by Alameda. But yeah, just, some, we should be looking hey, at Robin Hood. Stop telling lies about me. Just because I went to several orgies at their penthouse doesn't mean I was sponsored. <laughs> I was there as a private citizen on my own reconnaissance. <laughs> Fuck you, you paid Brad. for it I, yourself. <clears throat> Brad, what you said is libelous and it's slanderous, and I'm going to sue you. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's just funny, too. The other thing that really frustrates me, like uh, Zero Hedge just tweeted a quote from uh, J.P. Morgan which is like is pointing out that hey all of this stuff was the failure of centralized entities not decentralized <laughs> protocols and this is the narrative that the shitcoin like community and the crypto vcs are trying to spin it as they're trying to say like he was a fraud this was a problem with centralized finance the solution is defi so let's all get more heavily into defi and let's get, get you know get get using all these protocols and it's just like it's so infuriating that they're completely ignoring that the DeFi thing never really would have had any traction we, at all because we nobody haven't cared about it until yeah, they touched something until very. Sorry, we, we haven't touched something very important with regard to this, by the way, which is Bitcoin rehypothecation. the The wrap Bitcoin now is coming out as uh, apparently not having any backing. On, was it on Solana? Yeah. So there's like. There's it's it's interesting I'm, I'm to me shocked. that there's yeah there's, there's, this, there's this massive problem where apparently the rise in price uh you know the the amount of bitcoin being traded on the markets the market information that we had is a little inaccurate because there's a lot less bitcoin on the markets than we thought there were gentlemen and Isabella and Hoddle 
<laughs> yeah, thank you. I identify as gentleman. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and also, Brad, attend to your question as well when when you've an when you've answered whatever he said. <laughs> I don't remember what the question. What was oh, the real question? quick, <clears throat> I have a thing about Bitcoin rehypothecation. Rehypothecation. So, like the wrap Bitcoin. I was telling people this all through the the bull market. People kept saying, you know, you can't just ignore the wrapped. Bitcoin that's on Ethereum or Solana. I said, yes, I can. I clearly can. Because first of all, number one, there's no Bitcoin on Ethereum or Solana. Those are just Bitcoin IOUs. Okay. Those are different grades of Bitcoin custody solutions. The Bitcoin never exists on Ethereum. If you want to create an algorithmic custody solution for your Bitcoin and then send Bitcoin there, that's that's your business. But the Bitcoin has never left the Bitcoin chain. It's not like it migrated and went over uh, to the Solana chain, which is the story that they were kind of spinning. And now we're finding out that it was never more than an IOU in the first place, at least in the case of Solana. And, and they that never traded at a discount. That That's what right. blew my mind the whole time. I no, 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 no. The, the, that might be the you case. Got, you guys are a little confused on it. So it was backed at one point, but, but it was oh, backed wow. by Alameda. And then Alameda gambled all that's the money the away. And it now it's not point. backed. So yeah, at but, one point it was backed. Listen. The point and it was not that, trading at a discount when it was this backed. Was, but then, it was always an IOU, though, Brad. It was yeah. Like, it was if it was always, a backed IOU or a not backed IOU. It was always an IOU. It's the same as eGold. Like eGold didn't fail because it was not backed by gold. It failed because the FBI shut it down, and there was just the centralized risk. Well, that's of a little different. failure. <laughs> that's a little different here. They spent it. <laughs> yeah. It's no, I mean, like it's more like it, Congress it, I, rating about, the uh, Social Security budget. Is what it is. I'm talking about wrapped Bitcoin as a concept, not this specific case of sold BTC. For me, for me, can we just like get to the definition of what exactly constitutes wrapped Bitcoin? So, so Isabel, it's real simple. The way that the way that it's pitched to you is that you can export your Bitcoin from your wallet, and it will appear on Ethereum as a wrapped Bitcoin. And the idea is that it's on Ethereum. The Bitcoin is on Ethereum. It's not on Bitcoin anymore. You can trade it on the Ethereum chain as if it were a Bitcoin, right? One of the bad ideas here baked into this assumption is that it, you didn't generate a taxable event when you did that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the this is the the idea. In actuality, so this is one of those ideas where you hear that and you're like, I, I know how Bitcoin works. That doesn't sound right. That sounds wrong. So it is wrong. Uh, because the part of it that they're missing is that someone has to hold the Bitcoin or the Bitcoin has to exist somewhere mm. as it's, quote, wrapped, right? So it's actually just a synthetic Bitcoin on Ethereum. And your presumption is that the person who's wrapped it or the escrow agent holds any Bitcoin at all, for which they, they show no proof ever. Is this, is this not just like a Tether type thing for Bitcoin? Yeah. 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 It's, okay. it's literally it's like Tether, but for the, for the Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay, well, so the, big, the, biggest, <laughs> the biggest Bitcoin wrap Bitcoin is is WBTC. It's like 200,000 Bitcoin and it's the custodian is BitGo and BitGo is pretty trusted in the industry. Like they're they've got a decent reputation. Like, you know, they're they're probably not rehypothecating it, but probably Fuck with Brad. That's a, a fucking IRU. That's an IRU. You have no yeah, Bitcoin. You, if you have Bitcoin, it. that's a zero. Here's the risk. No Bitcoin. As the regulators are coming to clamp down on all this bullshit, they're going to come after all these DeFi companies that clearly control all the governance and all the protocols and can change things. And anything where where there's like OFAC um, 
non-compliance or AML KYC shirking, they're going to come in and just stomp down on it. You saw, you saw the treasury come in in the summer and, and sanction tornado cash protocol and arrest the lead developer of tornado cash. Well, the criminals didn't just stop mixing their coins and using DeFi. Like they just started using the, the transparent DeFi protocols like curve and transporting it into wrap Bitcoin and then withdrawing it to exchanges. So like, the regulators clearly are already taking a stance that they want to tame this market, just like after the the oil the oil mm. bubble and the gold bubble and the the the, the you know private monies and uh, banks were creating their own private monies like the bucket shops in the nineteen twenties and, and every, the dinosaurs yeah <laughs> all the way back every time something comes up and actually becomes big enough to catch the attention of the regulators if the industry lobbies are good enough or whatever they can prevent it from being like stopped but it ends up being tamed and there's regulations for a reason and all these all these silicon valley quant devs and stuff are, are electing to say that they're all cypherpunks and they're trying to provide freedom and you know we should you know bitcoiners should be on the same side as us because we're all trying to promote freedom and uh, censorship resistance but really it's like no that's what we're building in bitcoin we're building censorship resistant decentralized finance peer-to-peer money and peer-to-peer web with no token perverse token incentives and ponzi schemes attached to it so like yeah no bitcoiners are not going to come out of this collapse being like let's all hold hands kumbaya let's get to let's get go on together bitcoiners are going to be like you guys caused all this problem and you're still, We're going to build back better. They're still they're <laughs> like they're still they're still not acknowledging that there was any flaws at all in the in the yield the yield Ponzi scheme. Oh, they're, they're time. It wasn't I, decentralized enough. That was the problem. I, I think it's worth talking about the difference in engineering cultures between Bitcoin and mm-hmm. crypto land or shitcoins. Is that um, Bitcoin has a very adversarial engineering culture? Comes out of civil engineering. Um, you know, we take it very seriously. This is something that could be a reserve asset for the entire globe. And so, you know, that's that's not a project that you can just willy-nilly push code to, right? Whereas the shitcoins have a sort of Silicon Valley move fast and break things mentality. And it worked because all their shit is fucking broken. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Brad, uh, Christopher Ricketts wants to know if there's any DeFi worth understanding. What say you? Well, I do think that we're going to start building out some of these decentralized finance protocol type things on Bitcoin in, like I said, in ways that are legitimately like peer to peer, interesting censorship resistant technology that just doesn't have Ponzi schemes attached to it. Like the, the idea of Uniswap was a really good idea to be able to have a a decentralized exchange that allowed you to do trustless exchange of whatever you wanted. The, well, uh, the less, idea of two uh, things that we need to fix in Bitcoin, though, right? Less minor extracted value and less the securities in question having value for a reason. Yeah, like the concept of you being able to exchange a stable coin just by holding your own private keys into Bitcoin uh, or or like a native blockchain native asset or whatever. It's an interesting thing to pay attention to. What's not interesting is the way that they built it all up to be like financialized Ponzi schemes and added the yield farming component and and, and honey potted it with like billions of dollars and uh, dumped it all in retail. That's not interesting. So 
yes, it's like they are saying this. Some of the things that they're saying kind of appears true. Like they're saying DeFi didn't fail. FTX failed. And yeah, that's true. DeFi didn't fail yet or this time. But there's plenty of examples where due to minor extracted value, like Alan said, like that's a bug in Ethereum. It's not a feature like the, the idea that you should be you, you should have to like look look around when you're using a, a Bitcoin to see whether or not someone's going to rob you blind or exploit your transaction. Like that's what happens in Ethereum DeFi constantly. And that's why, yeah, there's been tons of failures of DeFi protocols. And it's just disingenuous of them to claim that DeFi is the solution to this problem of CeFi well, because there's been so many hacks and exploits in DeFi that it's not even funny. You guys can tell me, uh, in my opinion, the only interesting DeFi projects to look at are in Bitcoin. Things like Lightning Network, uh, you know, those types, even even sidechain stuff like Rootstock. I mean, there's there's some really interesting like DeFi projects that are in Bitcoin, but they're the only ones to me that are in any way interesting because they're the only ones that will have any staying power. And I could foresee that a lot of the stupid stuff that's on these other chains will be ported over. Uh, and we'll see at some point a lot of this end up I mean, in Bitcoin. I don't know. I, I think I agree with Brad that of everything, at least I'm aware of, uh, AMMs are the only worthwhile actual innovation. I mean, it goes back to this. So I made this point earlier about Brad making it the last time he was on, that almost everything they've done is just a shittier version of something from TradFi. It doesn't need to be replicated. Yeah. I don't know if Brad has anything to add to that. Yeah, it's it's definitely there's interesting stuff that they've built there. And that's the one thing I think as Bitcoiners to kind of have more credible voices in this space as more traditional people are coming into the space, like to acknowledge that there is some interesting things that we can build from traditional finance or from the DeFi stuff that got built out on Ethereum and other blockchains. We can take the useful stuff, which we are doing, like Jack Dorsey's doing that with Spiral's uh, TBD project. Like they're building decentralized exchange, decentralized mm -hmm. identity. They're trying to build that in a peer-to-peer -peer way with no token nonsense. Synonym's doing that. That's a company that Tether had funded to do Bitcoin only and non-Bitcoin decentralized identities, webs of trust, peer-to-peer -peer web, like le using legitimate peer-to-peer -peer protocols. And doing this like peer-to-peer -peer finance rather than calling it DeFi, because we're not going to call it Bitcoin DeFi. Some people are trying to make that stick. But at this point, the term DeFi and the term NFT, unfortunately, is just like toxic waste. Yeah. Like Bitcoiners <laughs> yeah. do not want to associate their project with yeah. the term DeFi. We're going to call it something else like peer-to-peer -peer finance feel, or something like that. I feel really sad about NFT as well, because... This is like a borderline cancelable opinion and until you, you know, make endless clarifications that the idea mm. of an NFT is really cool. Just like what the words literally mean, a <laughs> non-fungible token. Agreed. Uh, I also agree with that as but well. It now it's like it has this brand that has subsumed what the word means and you can't say what the like there's almost no way to communicate it anymore. Other you than, do, like, you NFT, just have to rebrand you have to rebrand it. <laughs> We'll have to rebrand it, but where's Hoggle gone? And also, let's let's get through some questions. So you went out to buy we... more hot sauce, I think. Yeah, he <laughs> ran out of hot sad. sauce. Terrible situation. What do we think um, about Skybridge? How much did FTX buy? Has Mooch said how how their funds are stored? Oh yeah, I forgot about the Mooch. Oh, he's screwed. I bet. If Scaramucci, I think I think it's speculated that he lost a lot of money in this, right? Isn't that? Oh, I I bet he lost a lot of money. Yeah. I think he's appearing. I, I think he was seen somewhere looking a bit dour. Um, where? Why has Barry Silbert gone radio silent? 
LGBTC. No, no thoughts. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that there's so so just to talk about that real quick. GBTC. Some people are speculating that uh, not not GBTC, but uh, what DCG is in trouble with some of this. So uh, I, you know, I think Barry Silver's gone Radio Sonic because I, I don't. He's not part of GBTC anymore, is he? I thought it had been handed off and bought by somebody else. No, it's no, still no their idea. project. Is it his? Okay. So, sure? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's gone radio silent because he's, uh, you know, may, maybe the liquid AGBTC, and I, I'll be very fucked. Um, <laughs> is Jonsev smoking Caroline's Adderall? Yes. Yes, that's a okay. special kind of... How uh, big a deal Adderall. does Adderall play in all this, by the way? I think it's meth. I don't think it's Adderall. Well, you notice that they started having Adderall shortages about eight months ago, and that's when everything started to fall apart. That's what is point. behind these? I I, I um, wasn't really following this. It's not my, uh, you know, drug of choice. <laughs> I don't have any. Obviously. You like the heroin? Uh, yeah, I just go straight, that, for the, yeah. straight for the opium, actually. But um, tell me, what was behind the Adderall shortage? Do we know? She was taking, she was ordering too much to the Bahamas. No, 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 no. There's a, there's apparently a global Adderall or US I think it's Adderall just, shortage. it's just more that like, I look at it like it was a part of the economic war that's happening globally between China and, and the West and, you know, other participants or whatever. They're, they're purposefully like trying to drive inflation in each other's economies and things like that for uh, economic gains. <laughs> So that was just part of it, you know, like they, they China stopped exporting fertilizer in, on the guise of like COVID zero COVID. And uh, now there's the chips act and like, there's just all kinds of supply chain stuff. Supply um, chain problems. Yeah. Question for Hoddle. Who's not here. Um, are you currently wearing used socks? We could speculate. I, I can confirm. I can confirm. Hoddle said that during the uh, bear market or bull market, he was wearing a new sock, new pair of socks every day. And now he's uh, he's not. It's that famous quote from Superman 3, I think, where Richard Pryor, no, who's the villain? Anyway, he says he never wears the same pair of socks every day. Got it. Um, Chipotle's guacamole. Guacamole. Guacamole, no? And chips are the best. Um, David Short says he's Googled it now. FDX bought 30% of Skybridge. Mooch claims he's trying to buy it back. Last news I found is from last year and says Skybridge is using Nidig. Nidig? For yeah, Nidig. Hope that didn't change. I hope so too. Question. About 12 hours ago, Binance announced an industry recovery fund to help projects that are in a liquidity crisis but otherwise strong. Now, this to me is sh shades of the Eurozone crisis when the Troika was famously <laughs> announcing all sorts of new new uh um structures to bail out the eurozone do you remember that alan were you were you following i think no? that was before me i'm very young before before okay so when the eurozone which is comparable because the eurozone actually the euro is kind of like a cryptocurrency a shit coin um i didn't say that <laughs> isabella yeah. supports brexit i guess <laughs> <laughs> no i i'm definitely stra standing with gbp i i called the bottom on gbp i was very upset about all the, the fud the fud about gbp <laughs> obviously a superior currency now um i i do think though that there are lots of uh analogies because uh, the euro was effect effectively 
the XRP of its day. It was designed to um, bridge all the different uh, independent currencies that you had in the euro before the eurozone became the eurozone. You know, like the lira, the drachma, the franc, whatever. So they created this synthetic currency and then told a bunch of central bankers to merge all the liabilities, and uh, then they forced the countries to comply with certain compliance, you know, debt ratios, etc. But when the Eurozone started breaking apart, uh, they realized they had to have like a master fund to bail these things out because it was hugely fragmented and nobody wanted to, there wasn't political union, so nobody, nobody wanted to, um, you know, the Germans who were the most solvent didn't want to bail out the periphery, right? So there were all these interesting structures coming up over the weekend and recovery funds and people pitching in to try and create new mechanisms and floating new bonds in the sort of Bitfinex style to plug the hole in the Eurozone. It's all very comparable in my mind, but um, but but I am interested in, in what you think of the new uh, Binance maneuver here, because he's he's asking for cash from any willing takers um who might need it uh sorry he's he's offering cash to any any hard up he's exchanges probably, but he's probably taking equity right i don't know i have no I idea mean, what I, the terms and conditions are maybe you should apply guy. johnson why don't you apply for one of these um opportunities i don't know what the qualify uh qualify you know qualifying i'll, I'll apply i'll apply if if gbtc goes under <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right, Isabella. It's it's just more of these these uh, wildcat banks acting, trying to act like J.P. Morgan did back a hundred years ago to try to prevent a complete liquidity freeze up. And like, there's no good scenario for Binance when when like these projects go under, and then there's less demand for people to gamble on the shitcoin tokens associated with them. So of course, it's in his best interest. Now that their their biggest competitor, who was kind of publicly out there, is like, oh well, no, we're we're rescuing the industry. Now that they've been exposed as having been like gambling with client money and completely fraudulent, it it there is a need in the crypto scene for somebody to come and rescue legit projects. But there's very few legit projects. Most of it is just synthetic, toxic, over leveraged trash. And uh, I mean, I, I guess. Yeah, he's just trying to. It's in his best interest to rescue as many companies as he can. Um, we'll see how. We'll see if he's if he's like going to do that with Bitcoin companies too. I think he may. If Bitcoin companies apply, he may want to. He may give some funding towards Lightning startups and Bitcoin startups. So it actually makes sense if Bitcoin companies need some liquidity too to try to apply because CZ's kind of had a bit of a history of having reverence for Bitcoin at least, where most of the other ones are like flooding Bitcoin. What's a good hardware wallet? Oh, there are a lot. Um, depends, but if you want to do a multi-sig, uh, I think cold card should definitely be among the wallets used. I, I like Jade Wallet, uh, Trezor, Ledger. Trezor and Ledger are probably the easiest to use. I'm playing. I'm playing with these ones lately. The uh, the 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 Sats cards. Have you guys seen these yet? What's that? They're great. What they're, is it? They're so cool. They're just like little cards with an NFC chip in it and a Bitcoin. Those are, those are cold card, right? No, this is a Sats card. But I mean, they're made by cold card, right? Coin, coin kite. Yeah, yeah, the company makes them. What is, so, is is it in, in, endowed in the card? Yeah, you just you just scan you just tap this to your phone. Yeah. 
and then it pulls up a page on Blockstream's Block Explorer, uh, blockstream.info, and gives you the address and the balance. So you can get the you get the address, and then you can send Bitcoin to this card, and then it takes it from the digital world to the physical world. Like the Bitcoin then is in this card. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I love these things for family members that don't really want to get into the the idea of like securing their own seed phrase and things like that. If you want to get small, but aren't you of dependent Bitcoin. on whoever is hosting it? Like, isn't there some sort of back? No, that's the beauty of the way that CoinKite designs their their products. You, uh, you well, actually, you know what? The the Open Dime is a physical device that. It's like a, a little USB stick that is provably um, secure because it the Bitcoin key lives on a chip that gets randomly generated. I don't. I think I must. I think they must have designed this the same way because they're like the leader in Bitcoin hardware devices and security and and privacy. So I imagine Rodolfo, the the, the CEO of CoinKite, would would have designed this in the same way. Interesting. I, 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 I would just I would just say Trezor Ledger uh, to start with, and then uh, if you want to get more complicated, Ledger's terrible. I would not recommend Ledger. The user experience oh. is we've lost horrible. Alan. Oh no, Alan's People gone. Dropping like flies. He's also <laughs> had to go. No worries. Bye, Alan. Um, okay, he, oh, we've lost. Oh, well, I now know what's happened to uh, Hoddle. He's uh, re- <laughs> saying goodnight to his kids, which is fair enough. Um, or Now, um, we've got one more question, and I'm going to have to go. So I think we are near the end. We've got this question. Uh, how to build a Uniswap on Bitcoin? Issues I see we should sh- we we would ship coins for it to what we would need i suspect uh ship coins for it to work and we would need a stable token stables represent 70 percent of trading pairs today how would we do this any ideas um well tether started on bitcoin i just want to point that out to everybody tether was a bitcoin uh asset built on uh master coin at the time so you know like first of all a a stable pair is not uh, something that Bitcoin can't do. In fact, it started here. And the shitcoining, yeah, there probably would be a lot of shitcoins if you did that. But honestly, a decentralized exchange with a stable coin would be enough. It'd be pretty nice. Yeah, I, I don't think that we need to see, and I don't think it will get built, built out on Bitcoin like the way you saw it get built out in crypto. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, we're going to have to create a, uh, a DEX and then also create a whole bunch of toxic garbage shit coins to trade it i think you're going to see bitcoin get built or decentralized exchanges and just peer-to-peer exchange get built out on bitcoin in a way that lives in the real world where you you trade you you know if you can get to the point where like the future of money is bitcoin and digital then it also makes sense to digitize other things like stocks and securities and if you have stocks, I mean, you already have trusted third parties for stocks and securities anyways. There's no need for trustlessness in, in that world because you, you have to rely on the company founders and you have to rely on the, on the you know, that they're going to pay their dividends and all that stuff. So one of the main things that you'd want to be like trading against would be either fiat pegged stable coins like USDT or algorithmically pegged stable coins like the equivalent of like MakerDAO. 
um, has the DAI product on Ethereum. You could do that on Bitcoin natively using Covenants, which is like a form of smart contracts that Bitcoin has. That's going to be in the future pretty important. Um, Covenants is being used on the liquid or the liquid side chain right now. And that's also where they're building out like digital securities that, that already exist. There's already digital securities li living on Bitcoin that represent things like Bitcoin mining hash rate or um, Bitcoin derivatives like uh, uh, yield coming from a miner or something like that. Like things that are securities, they're they securities for sure. And they, they're represented by tokens on the liquid network that has whitelisting capabilities and KYC checks and all that stuff. And they're trading on regulated exchanges like uh, merge exchange in, I think they're based in the Seychelles and then they're a regulated exchange and they trade liquid security tokens. So there's definitely a future for decentralized peer-to-peer -peer finance on Bitcoin. The way that block and square and, and them see it is that like it's integrating Bitcoin into the rest of the trading that's happening in the world rather than putting everything in a blockchain. So being able to sort of like have a native, somewhat trustless way to say, buy things from Craigslist with Bitcoin using reputation, webs of trust, things like that, not necessarily making it so that you have to trade everything as like a coin and there has to be this whole market developed around DeFi coins and crypto coins to trade with Bitcoin. You're not going to see it built out like that on Bitcoin. You're going to see it built out like stable coin, fiat money, um, your own products and services, your own like time. You know what I mean? Uh, you're you're going to see regular it could also be just it could also blockchain. be Brad. It could also be Brad that like a lot of this stuff gets built on lightning. And uh, a lot of it is, you know, semi self-hosted, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think the future has got a lot like I'm not I'm not a big believer in uh, tokenized securitization of most things. I think it's mostly inefficient, but, uh, you know, who knows? Like, but I do think that there's the possibility of decentralized markets like BISC being built out a little bit better and, uh, you know, getting thrown on places like Lightning. Well, on that cheery note, unfortunately, I do have a hard stop now. Um I think we can, this is this is food for thought for the next podcast. We're going to be watching what happens with great interest. I mean, I doubt this is the end of it. Um, it's been literally one week since SBF's notorious FTX is fine, assets are fine. Who knows what happens in another week? Um, we always get I a wanna... tweet like that, by the way, before these things collapse. <laughs> Your funds are safe, who? It's so bad. <laughs> I mean, it's so 2008. It's hilarious. Um, but on that note, I want to thank... Alan Farrington for joining us. American Hoddle, right? Neat. Um, Mr. Brad Mills. Amazing. Thank you so much for your in-depth account and knowledge. Um, and this orange guy next to me. It's that way. Yeah. Sorry. The orange dude. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure, but we're going to have to end it here. Uh, I'm going to, I'm gonna, um, I think, um, wrap it up with, with another look at our ad in memoriam stream just because i kind of liked it but so, by the way it's about we have uh, we're 62 away from we're 62 away go and spread Woo! the word everybody spread subscribe, the word subscribe subscribe subscribers and then we can start monetizing this channel maybe just maybe <laughs> so thank you everybody peace out whatever and i'm finishing on the stream thank you brad
anyway, on that note, see you all. Take care. See everybody. Bye-bye. The broadcast is ending.